All right. Welcome back to another episode of Revealed Apologetics. I'm your host, Eli Ayala. And today, um, upon popular request, we're going to be talking about apologetics and kids. All right. Now, um, myself and my guest included have engaged in debates with atheists and uh, all sorts of uh, unbelievers. And so we've We've heard all the questions and the objections, and we've tried our best to formulate sophisticated responses and things like that. We're both uh, within the context of uh, teaching and explaining and things like that. And and sometimes it can look as though it comes very easily, and in, in many regards it, it does, in some regards it doesn't. Uh, but today, when I was, uh, I don't know what I was doing, I was doing something around the house, and my son, who's four... Um, you know, I was kind of caught up in the busyness of what I was doing. My son asks me, dad, who made God? That happened to me. Not that that's, it's not just what people's the generic, like, you know, they, when, when apologist is trying to talk about the importance of having an answer, you know, he literally asked me that question and all of a sudden everything went silent. And I looked into the sky and I said, it begins. <laughs> Um, and so, uh, yes, you are going to, you know, if you're in apologetics, you're doing, you know, you're sharing your faith and you're trying to equip yourself to do it, uh, in a way that is uh, skillful, biblical, and, and just tactful. There's going to come a time where you're going to have to give these, uh, responses to your children. And let me tell you, as I said, I've engaged in debate. I'm a teacher. I've taught apologetics to middle school, high school students, uh, college age students, adults, the hardest thing to do is to explain biblical truths to a four-year-old. <laughs> okay. My, my son's like, yeah, well, Jesus is God and uh, Jesus is everywhere. He, he does, but sometimes he's not because sometimes he has a body. And so God died on the cross. He, uh, he listed a whole bunch of heresies, but you can't, you can't call him heresy. He's just poor. So uh, how do you explain the hypostatic union to a four-year-old? How do you explain uh, the doctrine of the Trinity and, and issues of perichoresis and the inner uh, penetration of the persons uh, of, of, of the Trinitarian essence? How do you explain that to a little kid? And better yet, how do you explain the fundamental foundations of the Christian world and life view uh, to a four-year-old? This is very, very difficult for me um, because I tend to be an analytical thinker and I try, tend to try, try my best to be very precise in, in what I say and I make qualifications here and qualifications there. Um, it's difficult. And so um, I have a guest um, that I'm going to be having on today, Joel Setekase. Um, who is over there at the Think Institute. He kind of does uh, what I do. He conducts uh, interviews and talks about apologetics and theology and things like that. And I'm going to have him on to help me um, help you <laughs> uh, teach apologetics to your kids um, in general and how to apply presuppositional apologetic methodology to your to your kids. Um, not apply it in the sense like you're doing it on them, but how do you teach them presuppositional uh, principles. If, if uh, many of you guys who are aware of a lot of the apologetic uh, literature out there, um, you'll be uh, you'll be aware that within the classical uh, schools of apologetics, there's a lot of material out there to teach children. I was just speaking with uh, my last guest, my last guest, um, Seth Bloomsburg, um, in my last episode, 
and I, I was talking about uh, the series of books that Dr. William Lane Craig has put out. Um, and it's a, it's a children's series where you have these, you know, mother, uh, I think it's Papa Bear and Mother Goose, or I don't remember the, the characters, but um, in, in the format of a children's book, he's teaching children uh, the cosmological argument, contingency arguments, moral arguments, even throws a little bit of Molinism in there. <laughs> okay. So uh, all that to say, um, it is not impossible to take a lot of these complicated apologetic ideas um, and teach them to children. And, and indeed, First Peter chapter three, verse 15 tells us that we are all to, to set apart Christ as, as Lord in our hearts and always being ready, always being ready. That means whether you're, you're old, whether you're younger, uh, we need to be equipping ourselves and our family um, to um, be ready to give a reason for the hope that's, that's in them. So um, I'm really excited about this specific uh, topic. And I'm really excited about uh, my guest, Joel Sedeke. So let me just give a, a kind of an in-depth, uh, in-depth, well, yeah, somewhat of an in-depth uh, introduction to who Joel is, if you don't know who he is. And then when I invite him uh, on uh, the screen with me here, he can give a little bit of his own background, maybe add some information that I'm going to miss. I'm sure he is a very deep man, and there's lots of information that will not be captured by this this introduction. But Joel Sedeke is a, is a man whose life has been transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the founder of the Think Institute, a teaching ministry that equips believers to explain, share, and defend the Christian message. He's a former pastor. Joel has uh, been working in Christian ministry and education since 2009, and he earned his BA in history from Grove City College and his master's in philosophy of religion from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Joel is a speaker, preacher, and public theologian, the host of the Think Institute podcast, the lead teacher of the Think Institute, and the lead writer for the Think Update, a worldview, evangelism, and apologetics publication of the Think Institute. Joel is also the author of Catechids, uh, the New Covenant Catechism for Little Ones, as well as a number of courses and curricula. And he runs the Christian Culture Builders social media groups on Facebook and MeWe, and the Hammer and Anvil Society, the semi-secretive applied theology wing of the Think Institute. Joel is married to um, Eliza. I think I got that right. And they live in the Tri-Cities uh, Tri -Cities area of Illinois with their four children. He also enjoys pina coladas and long walks on the beach. Uh, that's a lot of information there, but hopefully uh, you, get a, you get a glimpse into the man, okay? Um, and without further ado, we will invite the man to share the screen, and we'll begin um, this very, very interesting, fun, and yet very important topic. Precep for the kiddos. How's it going, Joel? Hey, man. I'm doing much better for hearing that introduction. Most, <laughs> most of which was actually true. Most of which. Most of them. Okay, so there's some false information here. Okay. Well, the pina coladas thing. I'm, you know, I'm more okay, of a you don't like the... I'm more okay. of a daiquiri man myself. All right, fair but, enough. You know, but, 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 but if you hand me a pina colada, I won't, uh, I won't turn it down. And you know what? Long walks in the beach. That's now we're talking. Now we're talking about a yes. Good Okay. Yes. Very good. Very good. So, um, we kind of gave kind of a, a formal introduction, but, um. Who are you, Joel? Who is the man, right? Uh, if you can give kind of a uh, an informal introduction um, of who you are, how you became a Christian, how'd you get into apologetics? Um, I know folks enjoy that that sort of information. Why don't you share that with us? Sure. I was raised in a Christian home, and um, which was a major, major blessing. Both my parents love the Lord, still love the Lord to this mm -hmm. day. And I asked Jesus into my heart, if you're listening uh via the podcast. You can't see I'm making air quotes right now um, because uh, 
you probably recognize some of the errant theology and that idea of asking Jesus sure. into your heart. But as a five-year-old, that's what I knew and that's what I did. Um, I would say the earlier years of my life were really characterized by the word hidden. I was the first born in my family and wanted to make a good impression. I wanted people to approve of me. And as I grew, my capacity for sinning grew, but unfortunately my capacity for resisting sin and fighting sin and putting it to death did not grow. And so a lot of my life was characterized by the word hidden. I was hiding to a certain degree who I was and what I was doing behind the scenes. Although I was a Christian, I felt guilty about my sin. I didn't have the victory over sin that God would give me later in life. And then when I was in my early 20s, I had a fresh encounter, you might say, with the Lord that um, it, I won't, I'll spare you some of the details, but I had just gone through a breakup uh, with my girlfriend I'd been with for a year. And there was this mentor that was working at the place where I was working. And he, he um, really reminded me about the unconditional love of God. And this was in the context of talking about my breakup. And um, we talked about the unconditional love of God. And it was like the Lord just um, through this brother's counseling um, really helped me see that God's love for me was unconditional based on Christ, not based on myself. So mm -hmm. although I, I'd been keeping parts of my life hidden, God wanted me to be fully open with him and to accept his free grace uh, openly and okay. and fully. And so um, uh, over that next year, I was uh, really mentored in a lot of ways by another brother who was working that, at that same place. And I would say my life since that time, Eli, has really been characterized by the word open. Um, mm. I can really be open about who I am now, uh, open about my relationship with Christ. Um, will I, will I sometimes be called a hypocrite? Absolutely. Of course. Uh, yes, because I don't live up to God's perfect standard. We all fall short in sure. many ways. And, and I'm the chief example of that, but I've experienced God's grace and his mercy and, uh, the, the rejuvenation of the Holy spirit in my way or in my, in my life in a way that I can really only attribute to God. I know him. I know Jesus. I, I, I love him. He loves me. And the cool thing is uh, after I had that encounter with the Lord Jesus, he gave me another desire of my heart and I ended up getting back together with my girlfriend and ended up marrying her. And so that's, um, that's my wife, Elisa. And together we have four kids and, um, Elisa, not Eliza. Okay. That's right. Yep. That's right. It was looks that like one of the false? That was one of the false things. That was some of the, that, that's right. And you know, you made up the pina coladas thing yourself, but I uh, did. That was, yes. that was, I added, I added yes. there. But, um, but Elisa and I now have four kids. So I'm a proud father of four. And uh, throughout the years, God's uh, brought me out of the business world where I was a financial advisor and uh, brought me to the, the realm of Christian education. Sure. Um, uh, I was a, I'm a former youth pastor, former associate pastor, but I've got a background in education, a background in um, children's ministry. That was my okay. first ministry gig. So I've spoken by God's grace. I've spoken at numerous kids ministries and retreats and events and overnights and all kinds of stuff like that. And as the father of four kids and with my experience in ministry, the development of young minds in the biblical worldview and the ability to defend and articulate the biblical worldview and really believe it and and to really know God is very, very 
deep, deeply ingrained in my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that, that's very personal to me, very important to me. So when you suggested this topic, it really, uh, I was very grateful for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I love, I love the opportunity to talk about this stuff. Uh, gets me up in the morning, literally, uh, because sure. sometimes my kids do get me up in the morning. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, um, keeps me up at night as my wife and I are talking about how to <laughs> disciple our kids. So, uh, it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart and a deep part of who I am. That's awesome. So, so we were, we were going to talk about, uh, Joel suggested that we talk about, um, something to the effect uh, of um, something about the transcendental argument and why, why does the transcendental argument demonstrate the triune God, which is a big question. Um, We, we have addressed it on the show in in the past. Um, And I was like, well, why don't we do something about uh, teaching presuppositional apologetics to children? He was like, Ooh, okay. That's really good. So you could, you know, I could tell right off the bat, this was something that he was uh, passionate about and um, I'm glad that he's on here to talk about it. So, so four kids, huh? Um, How old are they? Well, our oldest is nine, and then it goes nine, um, seven, six. He's not then, reading the lottery numbers, that, guys. That, that's that's right. Okay. Well, I have so our first three of the three of them are exactly all um, one year, four months, and eleven days apart. So the first two are one are sixteen months, eleven days apart, and then the second and third are sixteen months and eleven days apart. So right now, nine, nine, seven, six, and then. Uh, three. Our baby is three. That's right. She mm. just had a birthday recently. Uh, well, um, how on earth? I mean, it looks like you have a bunch of books uh, in the background there, and you can see there are some books in my background here. Yes. Um, I would imagine you've read a little bit of a lot of them. And, <laughs> yeah, um, yes, yes. And, and this is a question I always I have this this kind of private conversation with a bunch of people. Um, I, I just recently had a conversation uh, with Braxton Hunter of Trinity Radio, who's in the chat now. Um, and um, I always ask people who do what I do and have kids, and I ask them, "Well, how do you do it? Uh, how do you find the time?" And um, I've gotten some uh, encouraging answers and some disheartening answers. <laughs> some people, one guy was just like, "Listen, you just got to ride the wave, man. There's nothing you could do." <laughs> Because it, it can be challenging. How, how do you find the time to keep yourself sharp and in the know uh, mm-hmm. with respect to theological topics, the um, apologetic topics, while having four? I mean, I have three kids. You yeah. have one more than than I. I yeah. mean, that's four kids is a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of kids, bro. Wow. How, how do you do it? Yeah, you, you know, um, I've got an amazing wife. I mean, I I really okay. have to give credit to Elisa. Elisa homeschools our kids. This is our okay. first full full school year homeschooling. And she started doing that before the pandemic, actually about a month before all the lockdowns happened. Our kids were going to a private Christian school before that. But, um, but she is just absolutely incredible. She and I together are missionaries with, well, the Think Institute is the organization that we started, but we started it under the umbrella of crew church movements. So we're both crew missionaries. And um, so we, we really partnered together in this. Um, she handles a lot of the really vital administrative work. And then when she's doing that, I'll take the kids, um, or else my, my mom, you know, the kid's grandma will take the kids, which we're, we're blessed to live close to her. Um, but Elisa is just unbelievable. She's, she's just my right arm, man. She really is. Um, and then, you know, I gotta say too, God has just been incredibly gracious. We started the think Institute about three weeks before my son started, um, my, my, our third born Lucas went into heart failure in 2019. Mm, okay. And, um, that's a, that's a long story. Uh, there's a lot that happened before that and a lot that a lot that's happened since. 
Um, but sure. but we were starting this ministry in the context of going back and forth from the hospital, extended stays in the hospital, just a lot of a lot of craziness. And you know, in times like that, God's grace is is just abundant. And he provides mm-hmm. through his people. He provides through um, just strength and perseverance through the Holy Spirit. And so we were really started in the crucible. And so now, now that that season of life, again, by God's grace is is past, is over to a large extent, he's gotten a heart transplant. Uh, I feel like I'm riding on easy street, man. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's it's just, it's a lot easier right now. Sure. Um, but but that doesn't mean it's easy, you know, with a capital E. I, I look right. at other guys whose um whose kids are older. Um, you know, there are some men that I really look up to. Their kids are older, they're out of the house, you know, their grandparents, and the the amount of energy they have and the content they're they're churning out is like, man, I it's hard for me not to be envious and, and covetous of that, you know. Sure, I have sure. to repent uh because oh, what would I do with all that time? But sure. um, but you know, that's, Who, who's, that's uh, who's, uh, who's your favorite, uh, Christian YouTuber to watch. Who's putting out some good content. You don't um, have to say that. You don't have to say this one, <clears throat> um, uh, right. but if you have a favorite one, uh, uh, I'm, no, I'm, don't I'm, worry. I, I wasn't going to, but uh, no, good, uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> no, for, for those who don't know, um, uh, Eli has been on my sons of thunder show. And then with my brother Parker, um, which was right. Or, or did you come? Yeah. yeah you came out with the two. Yeah, it was both you guys. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and Eli has, uh, has really helped me out, uh, in my own apologetics work and preparation. But, um, but I, I mean, for me, I mean, James White, I love watching the dividing line. I know you've had him on your show as well. Um, I I haven't had him on yet, but he just liked one of my posts on Gab. So I feel like I'm, (laughs) I feel like I'm one step closer to getting Dr. White on the show. James, James White likes one of your posts. He puts on his sunglasses. Uh, that's right. Bucket list, uh. That's right. Good. <laughs> yeah. So okay, very good. Um, so, yeah, James. I like James White. I listen to. Uh, I, I like um, Doug Wilson stuff. Uh, the, the disclaimer with 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 any Christian thinker who's got a big name, you always have to say this. I don't agree with everything that they say. Yes. Okay. That's well, true. But, I mean, you know, yeah. but I should go without saying. Like, obviously, they're not Jesus. Okay. Right. I would hope that anybody who likes my stuff would would not feel the need to give that disclaimer. But sure. um, but just so that I don't get too much flack. I don't agree with everything they say, but they do put out a lot of very good content. So Doug Wilson, right. James White, um, there, there are many others. Um, sure. but, uh, but yeah. All right. Very good. Well, that's good. I love the kind of that introductory sort of stuff and to see uh, a little bit of the background, what you're listening to. And um, I'm always looking for new. I mean, I I do listen to the dividing line, but uh, every now and then someone suggests something uh, new and interesting. And I'm, I'm always into uh, jumping into something. Yeah. Useful, oh, especially. You know what? Yeah. Let me give you a recommendation. Sure. Um, uh, two, actually. So my brother Parker has a, a show, Parker's Pensies. He mm-hmm. mispronounces it intentionally. Um, <laughs> okay. And, yeah. And uh, that is a very, very intellectually stimulating show. Okay. Um, and, uh, and then my buddy and co-laborer, Rafe Chenery has something called the Christian optimist. It's just a podcast now, but he's going to be transitioning to video soon. And he is, his stuff is very, very good. Uh, It's usually a monologue rather than an interview. And it's, it's really at the pastoral level, but the Christian optimist, I think is uh, he's one of my favorite guys to listen to. Yeah. 
Very good. Well, thank you for that. Uh, well, let's jump right into our topic. So pre-sub for the kiddos. Um, let's define again, if there are people who are listening for the first time and are interested in just the thumbnail, which uh, suggested apologetics for kids, um, and maybe you don't know what presuppositional apologetics is, um, why don't you define for us what presuppositional apologetics is? And then let's dive into how one might um, teach this to children. To, yes. to our kids. So what are some practical examples that we can um, teach our children to think presuppositionally? So why don't you define define the methodology and perhaps we could jump into some application. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. So uh, presuppos presuppositional apologetics. Well, first of all, apologetics, that word comes from second First uh, Peter 3.15. The word okay. is apologia, uh, which refers to a vindication or a reasoned defense that one might give in court. And um, the the term apologetics has to do with the discipline of vindicating biblical truth or Christian truth claims over sure. against unbiblical thought or unbiblical messages. All right, and I'm going to so stop you. Right, I'm going to stop you right there. Go ahead. So, so um, a Christian apologetics is the vindication of the Christian perspective, right? So, sure. I'm I'm a five year old, Daddy. What's apologetics? Ah, okay. Apologetics is showing why God is true. And everyone who says he's not is wrong. <laughs> okay, there you go. Thank you, Dad. I'm gonna go back to bed now. Um, right. Okay, so yeah, get, get back to bed. What are you doing? So, so, so good. So, so when I ask you to define certain terms, I, I want you to give me the official definition and then the uh, the kiddo's definition. Okay, uh, that, I, yeah, that'll be fun. We'll see how I do on that. Yeah, because again, this is a very important aspect right. of communication. Is we need to learn how to contextualize. All That's of right. this sort of sort of stuff. So, uh, so go ahead. I apologize for interrupting. You could oh, you can good. continue with your official apologetics definition, and then we'll yeah. we'll jump into the application. So, apologetics is the discipline of vindicating Christian truth claims uh, over against uh, doubt, unbelief, unbiblical thought and messaging, sure. and the the goal or the the content being defended according okay. to first Peter three fifteen is we are defending our hope, the hope that's within us. And what the Bible teaches in Colossians one twenty seven is that our hope is Christ in us. It says it refers to it as Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, Jesus Christ is not maybe Lord, not probably Lord. Sure. Jesus Christ is definitely Lord. Jesus is God. Jesus is King. So when we are doing apologetics, when we are vindicating Christian truth or uh, showing that God is true and everyone who says he's not is wrong, what we're doing is e explaining and, and, um, and proving, if you will, why God and his word are absolutely true. So we don't want to deal with probabilities. We don't want to deal with, um, with just sort of vague claims that could sure. apply to many different religions or systems other than biblical Christianity that God actually teaches in the Bible. We want to deal with what God says in the Bible and why it is absolutely, positively, completely, certainly true. Mm -hmm. And so what? how do we do that? Well, presuppositional apologetics, as opposed to other forms of apologetics, um, has a particular approach. And I'll just sort of cut right to the method and you can feel free to stop me and ask for more detail. Sure. I'm, I know that you've dealt with this many, many times in your show, pretty much every episode. But what we do is we, we want to compare worldviews. We want to, um, th there's a two-step or a three-step three step process where what we do is 
we assume we take on the unbiblical worldview, the mm-hmm. non-Christian worldview for the sake of argument. And we examine it internally. I like to describe this as a home inspector going down into the basement of the home and looking around at the foundation and revealing that there's no foundation there. There's nothing holding up the house. And then um, what the, the way that that works is we're asking questions to determine what the unbeliever believes, okay. what they actually believe. And then we're showing how their beliefs don't line up with each other, how their presuppositions, their foundational okay. beliefs don't line up with the things that they conclude with their conclusions. Again, getting back to the house metaphor, there's nothing connecting the the roof to the ground. The house okay. is just sort of floating there in midair. And we show them this is a problem. The roof's going to come crashing down on your head if you if you try to live in this house. This is not safe. All right. Then what we do is we go into the biblical worldview, biblical Christianity, and we examine it. And we look at the foundation and we see that it's strong. We see that it's solid. We look at the walls and we say, oh, look at these walls. These walls could hold up anything. Any, any, uh, any, any roof that this house wants to hold up, it can do it. It's it's certainly mm-hmm. strong. And the way we do that is we invite the unbeliever to adopt the biblical worldview, again, for the sake of argument. And we show them it's internally consistent. There are no contradictions. There, are, Because if there's a contradiction between two of the beliefs of a system, then the system is necessarily false. Sure. Contradiction implies falsehood, implies that it's not true. So explain, you want me to explain this for, for a five-year-old? Well, well, I mean, okay. So or do you not so, like that definition? So, no, no, that, that's fine. Um, and I think, I think there's, there's, there's great value in using examples like um, the foundations of a house. I mean, this is something that Van Til um, did all the time. As a matter of fact, it was something that um, annoyed a lot of people in that instead of going right. into some of the rigorous logical details, he would use very homey analogies. Right. Um, but that is still very useful, right, to teach children. Yeah. And so um, that analogy that you use, I think, is good. We can, if if people who are kind of in depth in this apologetic methodology uh, sort of stuff, um, you know, you might want the more rigorous, logical, you know, layout of the the argumentation. Um, but if you're looking for ways to teach your children, I think using these analogies are are very important, especially uh, the, the kind of example that Vantil used with the the little girl sitting on her father's lap uh, to reach up and slap him. Um, but if, if someone were to say, because you have like a, maybe an 11 year old kid, like, well, okay, daddy. Well, yeah, I, I think, you know, there are some things that my friends believe that I think are kind of weird. Like um, they think, um, I'm just gonna make this up, uh, that the universe popped into existence, you know, out of nothing, you know, and it just, it's, or the universe just always existed. Now, dad, I can show how that kind of doesn't make sense, but like, how do I demonstrate like, like what we believe is true? Like, how would, how would you explain that? I'm, I'm 11 years old. I'm kind of on the a little bit more of the knowledgeable, you know, mm-hmm. 11 year old. So, uh, um, I'm not, you know, the 11 year old who's just kind of like, you know, like, I don't know what's going on. You know, it's more <laughs> of the 11 year old who, uh, you know, uh, who, who's asking, uh, deep questions and, uh, wondering about these things. Well, so first of all, I would want to give my kid credit, pat on the head, pat on the back, little Hershey's kiss or something because, <laughs> because, uh, He's recognizing the differences here. Sure. Uh, he's, he's he's identified a clash of worldviews. He's 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 got his biblical worldview specs on, and he's sure. he's able to discern the difference between what he believes and what his friend believes. And um, if if I could camp there for a second, I want to just really reiterate 
the importance of laying down that foundation of see um rather than really get into um the the specific arguments that we prepare our kids with sure um i really want to talk about the importance of laying down that foundation so let me do that real quick and then i'll come back around to that Absolutely. argument. is that fine okay, okay sure. so um in in terms of if someone were to say yeah but you know i don't want to uh my kids you know this is why they have teachers like i put my kids in a christian school i bring them to okay. sunday school why do i have to teach my kids how to defend their faith um the rationale for teaching your kids apologetics, teaching them to defend why God is true and everyone who says he's not is wrong, is thoroughly biblical. God made your kids to serve and glorify him. Psalm mm. 103 talks about all creation worshiping and glorifying God. Many other verses do as well. We all need to learn to know God so that we can serve him the right way. This, this is what David instructs his son Solomon in in 1 Chronicles 28.9. So our kids need... Our kids are created to worship God, but they need to learn to know how to do that. They need to learn to know God. Sure. And um, and God has commanded fathers, and by extension mothers and parents, fathers and mothers, to bring up our children in the teaching and admonition of the Lord. Ephesians 6, 4 talks about that. So what this means is we need to prepare our kids to be disciples. We need to prepare our kids to demolish arguments against Christ, as sure. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 talks about. So... So the, the biblical rationale for teaching our kids these things is irrefutable. It's in there. You could be, part of that could absolutely be bringing your kids to Sunday school, mm -hmm. sending, them, sending them to Christian school, et cetera, getting a really good homeschooling curriculum. I think that's all very good. I think it's all very valuable. The important thing though, is that we as parents need to really take ownership. So that's why I say when, if my kid at 11 years old is recognizing, hey, my my neighbor friend or whatever, my classmate is a materialist, you know, not using those words necessarily, but believes the universe popped into existence out of nothing. Hey, great job, son. Great job, daughter. You recognize that's not what the Bible teaches. So my sure. first question then is what do we know? Or what, what does the Bible say about that? I'm always asking my kids that, well, what does the Bible teach? Sure. You know, I want to, what I'm doing, Eli, is I want to know if I've taught them what the Bible teaches. Am well, I actually? Yeah. Let me just share something real quick because that's funny. I have a friend who um, catechizes his kids as well, and they were watching uh, Moana. And in the opening scene uh, of Moana, it says, you know, it's kind of giving the narrative of like the gods, you know, whatever, uh, yeah. that created the islands. And it said, in the beginning, nature. Uh, and he just put the movie on pause and he's like, all right, kids, what's wrong with this statement? Yeah. Um, and kind of use that as an example to, to remind them what they were taught with respect to, you know, what happened in the beginning, according to the Bible. So I think right. that's a really good example. Um, taking pop culture movies, cartoons that they're watching and, and not being preachy and pausing it every two seconds to get a sermon. out. <laughs> yeah, of it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. Uh, but being able to integrate, you know, these worldview issues, I mean, this movie is coming from a, pr a specific perspective. Mm -hmm. We as Christians, you know, we don't believe that. What? How would we respond to this? What does the Bible say? And always bringing people back to uh, our kids back to to the foundations. I was thinking of um, Deuteronomy chapter eleven, verses uh, eighteen uh, through twenty, where it says, "Fix these words of mine, uh, speaking of God's law, in your hearts and minds. Tie them as reminders on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, speaking about them when you sit at home." And when you walk along the road, 
when you lie down, when you get up, write them on the doorpost of your houses and on your gates. There is this great emphasis in scripture upon drilling these foundational truths into our children, into the fabric of our lives so that we remember them and they become useful when we are in a context that we are required to kind of give an answer, to give a reason for the hope that that's in us. So those are some kind of simple examples that you've just expressed. And, a fr and just reminding me, my friend um, said that he did that with his kids while watching Moana. Um, it just gives me an idea of all the different kinds of examples we can use depending on how old your kid is and you know what you're doing. So well, hundred percent. And you know, when I, when I think about teaching my kids to defend the faith, I think about it in three, or look, I look at it, try to look at it from three different perspectives as a mm. good framing. You know, I want to, I want to be uh tri perspectival in how I approach this. Okay. And um, so wait, you're a framing. I thought you were like Vantillion, bro. We're done. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and there, there's people that I, I know there are the presuppositional purists out there saying, oh, framing. Listen, I love John Frame. Um, yeah. Well, but, I mean, Vantel's great. He just, he has to be interpreted. You know, he's like, uh, he's like the Pope. The Pope might speak um, ex cathedra and he's uh, infallible, but you know, you got to have the magisterium to interpret what he says. And that's, and that's frame. Frame is our magisteria. You okay. No, in all seriousness, um, the, the, um, the three perspectives that I look at it from, sure. You've got doctrine. So three D's. Let's keep it simple. I'm a former preacher. Okay. Um, my wife would say I'm probably still a preacher around the house, but um, okay. the first D doctrine. So that's catechizing. And I wrote a catechism called catechids, the new covenant catechism for little ones. Um, I'm partial to it. I like it. I think it's been helpful for a lot of people, but if you don't like mine, there are, there are other good ones out there. There's the old school Baptist catechisms. Of course, there's the Westminster Shorter Catechism. There's there's a ton of good good catechisms out there. Um, you could take mine and take the parts you didn't like and, and develop it into something you know different, using it as a skeleton. Um, sure. But there's, there's the doctrine aspect of it. There's the devotion aspect of it. I want to teach my kids to actually know Jesus. I was just talking with my brother Parker this afternoon, and he was talking about how, you know, he knows Jesus. Jesus is not a proposition for him. Jesus is a person. You know, mm. how do I know Christianity is true? Well, I know Jesus. I, I want my kids to have that as well. That personal piety. We talk sure. a lot about as evangelicals, we talk about a relationship with God. It's a relationship with Jesus. Okay. And and sometimes people say it's not a religion. It is a religion, but it is also a relationship. So that's I want right. my kids. Not, not either or. That's that's right. It's a false dichotomy. So I want my kids to be reading the Bible. We do family worship with our kids every day, at least five or six times a week, um, by God's grace. And there's Bible reading, there's prayer, there's discussion. We we sing a song most days. I want them to get in those rhythms of regular daily devotion. I want them to know Jesus. I can't force them to know Jesus. Only the Holy Spirit can bring them into that relationship, but I want to provide a context where they can. And then the, the third, so you've got doctrine, you've got devotion. And then the third D is defense. Now, this is what we think of Eli when we think about apologetics. And oftentimes right. people might want to jump right to the defense. I want to teach my kids apologetics. I want to give them arguments. I'm going to get out the little William Lane Craig book with the, the goat. No, no. What is it? The goose and the bear and somehow the goose and the bear are married and they're kids, but the boys turn out to be bears and the girls stay goose, stay geese. It's this weird. There's some worldview issues in there. I don't know. 
<laughs> by the way, by the way, I own a couple of them, and they're and uh, except for the areas where I would disagree with Dr. Craig, they're, they're pretty cool. I, I think they explain some stuff pretty well. So, uh, okay, good, good. That's good. Yeah. I don't want to throw, I, I just think that that aspect of it is funny, and obviously, I'm not a, a I, I don't share his approach to apologetics. Brilliant man, all the disclaimers, everything else. But um, but sometimes we want to jump right to the defense. But the defense has to rest on the doctrine and be situated in a context in which there's devotion happening, where mm. I'm not just defending propositions. I'm not teaching my kids to, to win an argument, although I think my kids are pretty smart. I think they can win arguments. Not against me or, you know, Elisa, but against other kids, sure. Sure. But but I want them to know Jesus. So that's like, like, as I was talking with Parker today, Parker goes, you know, what do I have to defend that my dad exists? No, of course not. Mm. He's my dad. I know him. So I like, um, I like what you're saying because you're speaking about the apologetic task, not in the abstract. It's not, we're not, we're not teaching our kids to defend like this, this conceptual scheme, but it's rooted in um, our genuine relationship with the God who is there. And I think, I think apologetics can be very abstract for people. It's like, well, we're going to argue for a first cause. You know, there mm -hmm. has to be a, a designer out there or a foundation for morality, which, which I would all agree. Um, yeah. But the way, the way you are describing it, really, when we're teaching our kids, it's not just facts. We are teaching them how to defend the father of facts, the, yeah. the, the father we know who is there. And so right. that, that relational element is so important because when we teach our kids to think along those categories – um, um, it really grounds them in, um, a spiritually healthy context and not just one in which they're enriching their intellect. Right. You know, I know a lot of apologists who are obsessed with philosophy and I'm I have nothing against philosophy. I use philosophy. It's important. It's yeah. foundational. Um, but they're just immersed in all of this philosophical literature and, um, they're very, um, weak in their Bible. Uh, they're very weak in their own spiritual formation and prayer and things like that. So mm. I think, the way you're describing how we should teach our kids apologetics with this relational foundation, I think is, is so key and important that I think a lot of people miss. So I very much appreciate that aspect of your explanation. Well, yeah. And when you have that stopping the movie becomes a, a regular natural part of family life. And, and sure. it's so cool that you use that example. Cause if you didn't, I was going to anyway, stopping okay. the movie is a great discipleship technique when you've got kids. And like you said, don't do it every couple minutes for two reasons. One, we're not supposed to provoke our children as dads, right? So that's that we don't want to do that. Um, in fact, the same verse that says, bring your kids up in the teaching and admonition of the Lord says, fathers, do not provoke your children. Um, that's one. Two, if you keep interrupting the movie, the movie never ends and then it's never bedtime. And then you that's and right. the missus can never be alone. So that's you right. want those kids in bed. You want to stop the movie maybe once or twice. You don't, you don't want to annoy your kids like too. You don't want to Correct. annoy your kids too. Right. I, my my son gets annoyed when I used to order a bunch of books and he likes when things come in the mail, like packages. He always thinks it's like a present or something like that. Right. Um, and uh, I got, I got like these, yeah, I got this box with like, he's like, my son, my son was, he's like four. He goes, are those your God books? <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he calls them God books. He's just yeah. annoyed that I, I got another book and it wasn't, a, it wasn't a it present. Wasn't for him. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to overwhelm your kids always talking about apologetics, always right. talking about theology and doctrine, but you want to naturally just weave it into the fabric of your life. Right. right. It's, uh, and Absolutely. I think that's very important being strategic about that, but go ahead. Why don't you finish? Well, yeah, I was recently watching Avatar, the last airbender, mm -hmm. which my kids okay. love. I think about the other Avatar with the, with the blue people, not the, <laughs> not the blue 
mostly naked people. This is the uh, this okay. is the um, the the cartoon, uh, the old Nickelodeon cartoon, and sure. my kids really love Avatar. And okay. for the most part, I think it's it's fine. Some might disagree sure. with me, but there's a lot of pagan weirdness in that as well. A lot of sort of pseudo Buddhist kind of you know semi Eastern religious type stuff. And, you know, at one point, um, someone's telling Aang, the main character, you must find the answers within. The deepest answers are all within yourself. And so I pause. I couldn't not, Eli, I couldn't not pause at that moment. And I said, kids, uh, I forget what I said. Kids, do we find our, our, our deepest answers from inside of ourselves? No. Where do we get them from? From God. <laughs> that's right, kids. Boom. See, here's the thing. They know the answers that's going to get the movie back turned on for them again. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Very good. But, but the, the point is we've drilled that enough. Mm-hmm. And, and not only have we drilled it because rote memorization is very important. Sure. And, and, and that's why catechism catechizing is so vital for your kids, but we've also, it hasn't just been the rote stuff. It's been buttressed by a lot of back and forth interaction, a lot of conversations before bed, a lot of conversations on the road as, uh, answering their questions as they raise them. Um, sure. uh, Asking them, posing them questions just tonight, because this, this conversation was on my brain while we were driving in the car this evening, we're doing role-playing and, um, I'm, (laughs) I'm like, okay, you know, let's, let's practice kids. You know, let's, why do we think the, the, why do we know the Bible is true? And the kids, my kids tend to go super hard. So they're like, they want to role-play. They're like, yeah, I'll be the dumb idiot who doesn't believe the Bible. And I'm like, kids, (laughs) all right, listen, let's like. Not believing the Bible doesn't make you an idiot. There are a lot of smart people who don't believe the Bible. Okay, Dad. But does being smart mean you're always right? No, Dad. Okay, so let's talk about it. So, you know, um, we're doing role-playing. So then when I pause the movie, when I stop the movie, they're primed. They've got this stuff top of mind because we've been drilling. We've been talking. We've been answering questions. And so I think stopping the movie, great technique. And um, if you want to come back to, you know, your, your original, original question, like, what about the kid who's, who believes that the universe popped into, into existence? Okay. If I'm laying down a foundation with my kids, they should be able to recognize that that's unbiblical. And then what I've, what I've done, Eli, is in that one third of the pyramid or of the spectrum, whatever it is, you know, the defense I will talk to my kids as young as they are. I'll talk to them about how if the Bible is not true, if God is not there, then we have no basis for believing anything at all. We have no basis for thinking we can know anything. And I will tell my kids that. And guess what? They get that concept. Now it Mm -hmm. takes some scaffolding. It takes some support and some, some explaining. And, you know, even tonight we were talking about, how um, we, we're sort of addressing the the idea, the philosophy of scientism, which sure. you know most sign sci- people who subscribe to that might not even use that term. But the idea that uh, science is either the only or the most reliable method of gaining true beliefs, you know, of of, of learning the truth. We were mm-hmm. talking about that, and and I was role playing with the kids about how you know the dead end of scientism, you know, where it leads you is. I believe in science, but that belief itself is not taught to me by science. That mm-hmm. that belief itself is a 
a uh, super scientific or a non-scientific belief. It doesn't mean that science doesn't give you truth. It just means that if you start without God, without biblical truth, you don't get science thrown in. So, so a, a kid might, a kid might hear that, you know, a kid might be talking to his friend in the playground says, well, my dad says he doesn't believe in God. He believes in science. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a kiddie thing that people, it's, I mean, it's, it's also a, a phrase from Nacho Libre. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't believe in God. I believe in science. Um, and I've heard this too. I, I work in youth ministry as well. And, and, um, I was a, a speaker at a Bible camp and, uh, there was an atheist kid who's a Christian now, by the way. Um, hey. I know a lot of, a lot of atheists, um, Praise in God. the chats and different, they're like, oh, this apologetic is a waste of time. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. you, you you can say that. Um, right. I've actually spoken with um, a lot of people, and um, there was a friend of mine who was a, he was a hardcore atheist, and he actually invited me to his house to watch a documentary that he thought disproved the Bible, and he had all his atheist friends there, and we had great conversation, respectful. Yeah. Um, and uh, later on, I think like five years after I lost touch with him, I met him in the parking lot of a, of a hospital. And he kind of attacked me joking. He kind of gave me a bear hug from behind. He goes, Eli. And I turn around. I'm like, oh, snap. You know, what's up, man? And he didn't say hi. He didn't say, how's it going? He says, thank you. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I just want to thank you so much for those conversations that we had, you know, back in the day. I'm a, I'm a Christian now and I'm going uh, to be a youth pastor. And, uh -huh. um, and because of our discussions, and yes, I use presuppositional apologetics to address them. So people say presub doesn't work. Um, he says, because of our conversations, it had it played such a, a big role in my conversion. I'd like to have you and your family come out and uh, hear my first sermon, which was um, he was going to be doing it at a church at Fire Island, which is an, uh, if you look at Long Island, looks like a fish. Fire Island's that skinny strip. Okay. Uh, there, you can kind of take a little ferry out there. It's nice and, you know, vacation-y sort of place. Cool. Um, but he was preaching at a church there and invited us out um, so that we could hear his first sermon. Um, so the stuff, God definitely uses this this apologetic. But Amen. with respect to, um, what was I saying at the beginning? I lost my train of thought there. Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, um, oh, man, brain fart. Scientism. Oh, so, okay. So, so the kid, so, so, um, we were in a circle, so we brought, had a breakout session and there was this one kid who was an atheist, a nice kid. He wasn't starting trouble, but he was the only atheist there. And he wanted to let people know he was an atheist. So sure. the way he answered certain questions would hint that he's an atheist. And so yeah. when, when we got to his turn in the circle, kind of where people were sharing, he's like, well, I don't believe in God. I believe in science. Oh yeah. Right. Uh, this kid was probably ninth, 10th grade. Very smart. He was a very smart ninth, tenth grader, hmm. um, and of course, as I said, he's a Christian now, and he's actually helps with the Bible camp and, and facilitates. He's very passionate, um, which is awesome. But um, yeah, if if your son or your daughter comes up to you and says, "Hey, my my friend's dad said he doesn't believe in God; he believes in science," like I didn't know what to say. Like, how would we respond to that, Dad? How would you how would you guide your your daughter or your son in navigating that that sort of discussion? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. So, so how old is my child in this scenario? Uh, well, well, let's say uh, ninth or tenth grade. Oh yeah, yep. sure. Well, so sure. if you if you think about the classical education progression, okay, um, elementary years, early elementary years, that's where you're teaching rote memorization. That's where you're teaching, you know, the the grammar. That's the grammar stage. Sure. By the time you get more to middle school your uh you know the, those upper elementary years now you're in the logic 
stage, which is where you're you're bringing the ideas together. By the time you get to high school, those upper years of your of the, the child's um, uh, education, you know, secondary education, I guess you'd say. That I mean, that's rhetoric. It's go time. So if my my child is ninth, tenth grade, Lord willing, they've gotten a good, solid foundation in the biblical world and life view. Okay, they've got the doctrine down. Not that they've exhausted all possible knowledge about God, obviously, or biblical truth, but they've got the good foundation. Lord willing, their devotional life is strong, is primed, and they've practiced, they've learned how to give a defense, a biblical defense, defending biblical content in a biblical way. And so at this point, you know, we we might, I might just simply ask them, well, you know, what do we know about science? Um, and um, well, I was just talking with my kids today, actually, about the importance of asking good questions. And so hope, I would hope my child would would understand that um, a man's heart is like deep waters, but a man of understanding draws it out. How do we draw out someone's heart? How do we how do we pull what's underneath to the surface? We have to ask questions. You know, Jesus asked over 300 questions. He directly answered three, at least by some countings. So Jesus was a master question asker. I want my kids to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. So hopefully I've trained them. I've taught them to ask really good questions. So the child comes to him or the young adult at this point comes and says, I don't believe in uh, the Bible. I don't believe in God. I believe in science. Um, I would hope that my child would at least understand that from a biblical perspective, we love science. Scientific inquiry is one of our greatest tools for discovering God's world and gaining true information from it. But at that point, by high school, I would also hope that they would understand that the underlying principles that give rise to science, starting with Christian theism, belief in the triune God of Scripture, which is your formulation, by by the way, the triune God of Scripture. I'm sure you didn't invent it, but I got that from you, and I use that all the time now. Uh, The triune God of Scripture is the foundation for the underlying principles that give rise to science. Principles like inductive reasoning, uniformity in the cosmos or in nature so that things are consistent. We can do a uh, an experiment on Tuesday and expect to get similar results on Wednesday, all things being uh, all things being equal. Um, logic, mathematics, all of these invisible, immaterial, unchanging, universal, absolute, and knowable principles. And when we're talking about logic, equally ultimate principles as well. Law of identity, law of non-contradiction, uh, law of excluded middle, neither of which is logically prior to the others, much like the triune God. And so you've got unity and diversity. You've got um, laws and facts. And now this is getting deep. I realize that, but my 15-year-old, 16-year-old should at least be able to articulate that God is the foundation for those principles. Mm. So as Christians, we believe in the validity of science. It doesn't mean all of our scientific conclusions are always correct, but the sure. process, scientific process is correct. Hopefully my child has studied the scientific revolution in um, in history. Um, so he would know about Newton and Tycho Brahe and uh, Galileo and men who were, uh, and women, who were steeped in the biblical worldview, which gave rise to science. All right, sure. so. Hopefully my child is, is I don't expect him to, to remember all those facts necessarily, um, but hopefully the foundation is there so he has a well to draw from. Yeah. And then my child would know how to ask questions. Well, 
when you say he doesn't believe in God, he believes in science. What do you mean by that? Mm. What, what does that mean? And um, uh, what what brought you to that conclusion? That's a nice little uh, the, well. You're right. Tactic you from Kokel, right? I, I've never read the book, but uh, oh but man, do, you totally have to read the book. It's it's excellent. I know. I, it, I, I intend to. I intend to. <laughs> real, real quick, I just want to stop real quick to let folks know. Um, if you have any questions, um, type it in the in the uh, the chat there, and towards the back end of the episode, uh, we'll we'll take some questions. So as I say always, uh, preface your question with the word question, so I differentiate um, your question from the rest of uh, the comments. If there are no questions, I'll just go through some of these comments, and maybe we can kind of comment on the comments because I, I do see a little bit of. Uh, uh, some stuff here that we can um, draw upon and expand a little bit on. So, um, so definitely, if you have a question, um, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be on this topic. Although, preferably, um, if you do have a question about teaching apologetics to your children, but if you have kind of a general apologetics question, we'll take those as well. Okay. So um, there we go. All right. So uh, you could want to finish your thought that you were you were just sharing before. Oh yeah, sure. So so my ninth or tenth tenth grader. Um, Here's here's what I'm expecting. The the way I'm expecting that conversation to go. This is sort of in my idealized, imaginary future. Okay, if I've done my job, this is what uh, okay. this is how that conversation will go. Okay, Jacob, tell me about that encounter. Well, you know, I said I'm a Christian. He said, "Oh, I don't believe in God. I believe in science." And I asked him, "What do you mean by that?" And then he explained his thought. I'm trying. You know, probably Jacob's not saying position you know, but uh, his thought at that point that he thought that Christianity and science didn't agree or that science and sure. faith are, are mutually exclusive or whatever phrase my son's using at this point. And then I'll say, okay, so Your what son, did you say? Son uses that. Uh, he, even though, well, you should meet my son. Uh, okay. My kids are, my kids are pretty smart. Um, okay. But um, they take after their mom. But so, okay, well, what'd you say next time? Well, you know, I asked him what he meant by that. Um, and he said, yeah, you know, faith and science don't go together. And, and then I asked him, this is my son hypothetically talking. And then I asked him, well, how do you know that? And then he explained, well, because the Bible requires you, or religion requires you to have faith in spite of the evidence, but science relies on evidence to reach conclusions. And so I asked mm -hmm. him, well, you know, how do you know that that's true? And and I would hope that he came around to this idea that if you start without God, you start mm -hmm. in an imaginary universe in which God does not exist, scientific inquiry is, um, is, is not actually possible. There's no reason to think that we can gain information from the world. And, and I would hope that my son would have a good working knowledge of what are the um, the necessary preconditions or the necessary environment in which science can can take place and that he would, here's what I would have at least hoped. I would have at least hoped that he would have, he would have vindicated his Christian belief in the form of explaining why from the Christian worldview, science fits perfectly. Science is exactly what you would expect if the triune God of scripture is there and he is there. And that's why science works. I would at least hope that he had gotten that part of the equation down. Yeah. Um, if he went on to do a, uh, reductio and internal critique of his friend's position. Hey, so much the better. If he asked yeah. him, you know, well, what, uh, what's your basis for truth? How do you account for logic? How do you account for uniformity in nature and induction in a world without God and showed him the absurdity there? 
hey, so much the better. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and I like how you're using words that um, a teenager may not be familiar with, but maybe in some sense it's it's good to. I mean, if you're like you said before, it's laying the foundation. So you're teaching your kid these things. Maybe the other kids aren't learning these things. So if someone says, "I don't believe in God, I believe in science," mm -hmm. and send, and your son, you know, being trained in apologetics, says something to the effect of, "Well, you know, well." Um, you know, without God, you have a problem with induction going on. The kid's like, well, I don't know what induction is. Oh, so then, then what, then how can you say with confidence, I believe in science and science is based on induction. You see, <laughs> you're using the word science and you don't even know the content of science. Right. And so maybe you should rethink your statement. You know, you don't believe in God, you believe in science. You don't even know what you mean by science Yeah, and, uh, or how the scientific process works. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, um, there's really no reason to think that kids can't learn these terms. Absolutely. Kids, kids can memorize all the characters of avatar. Kids can, yep. kids can, uh, you know, uh, my oldest is learning how to code, you know, they okay. can, they can, the, the kids minds are unbelievable. Um, they, they can, they can learn these concepts. Even our, our three-year-old, we were, uh, we were driving by a church yesterday and saw the cross or we were actually in a church yesterday and she saw the cross up in the front of the chapel and she said a cross jesus died on a cross you know, she just turned three not that long ago but she's associating the cross with you know a very important tenet of the gospel she's three years old kids can learn these concepts there's no reason why a kid can't learn about induction and, and what logic is and uh you know how how immaterial laws can be grounded in God, but they can't be grounded in a material universe, a purely material universe. I think that's well within the concept of a ninth or 10th grader yeah. to, uh, to grasp. Yeah. I knew a kid who was in third grade. Um, he was obsessed with Pokemon and it uh -huh. was that, that time when Pokemon was really like a big thing. And this kid oh, yeah. walked around, I, I used to work childcare. So, um, I teach middle school, high school students. Um, well, I used to teach middle school, high school students. I'm currently in, in looking out for a job now, but, um, yeah. And when I used to work in elementary school, there was this kid. Um, I remember his name was Sam. He was a really little kid, and he was obsessed with Pokemon. He had this Pokemon encyclopedia. It was like a giant book at all the different Pokemons and all their powers and all the things that they evolved into. And this kid knew it like like the back of his hand. Mm. Um, some of the names of these creatures I couldn't even pronounce. I was like, wait, a what? You know? He's like, and, right. a, and a poke and a Pikachu uh, evolves into a Raichu, and it was like. And I remember listening to him go on and on. And as I was listening to him, I was like, wow, you know, how silly is it that this kid knows all of this stuff inside and out? Yet the average Christian, even in church, like we don't teach our kids like these deep doctrinal issues. So we think it's too deep for them. Right. Uh, when in fact, a lot of these kids, like you said, their minds are amazing. They're able to uh, to to learn these concepts, teaching teenagers um um, doctrine and apologetics, I found that they were um, immensely interested and able to grasp the concepts. And I've had students come up to me and say, Mr. Ayala, you know, I was interacting with someone on Instagram and I used that thing you said in classroom and like the other guy didn't know what to say and it built up their confidence. I'm like, hey, you know, that's great. You know, so these things work yeah. if we lay, as you said before, and it's very important, laying the foundation, teaching your kids apologetics. Um, you can't come at the question, how do I do this? From a wrong perspective, you know, we're talking about induction, we're talking about science, we're talking about phil philosophical categories and things like that. I'd be like, well, how, how am I going to teach my kid this? You know, you expect me to teach my teenager this? 
No, we expect you to lay the foundation over the course of their lives. Mm -hmm. <laughs> These mm -hmm. are things that we, in some case, we've been doing since they were little, or right. in other cases, you have you, you didn't realize you should have been doing this, and so now you're playing catch up. Unfortunately, it makes your job harder, right. um, but there are ways to go about that. But it's this issue of laying the foundation, which is very relevant to the presuppositional methodology, right. because all parents teach their kids foundational issues. But the nature of the Christian foundation is grounded in God's word. And so um, grounding our kids, hopefully, with the work of the Spirit in the relationship with Christ and feeding them from the scriptures, I think, is vitally important in laying that groundwork, allowing them to not only know what it means to think Christianly and biblically, mm -hmm. but teaching them how to think biblically. Right. When Greg Bonson uh, yes. had a lecture, he says, listen, I'm not trying to teach you, um, you know, pat answers. And, you know, if the atheist says this, then you say that. He's like, I want to teach you how to think mm -hmm. so that um, regardless of what whatever objection someone raises, you're already thinking a certain way. And you're, you know how to come at these questions in an effective way and in a biblical yeah. fashion. So yeah. um, that foundational thing you mentioned at the beginning, I think, is vitally important to understand. Yeah. And, you know. You sometimes hear people say, "Well, I'm not going to indoctrinate my kids, or um, I'm going to I'm going to let them decide for themselves." Here's the thing, and this is, I mean, going back to Van Til again, this is sure. well, and and good grief, man, going back to Scripture itself, to the words of Jesus, there is no neutrality. If you're teaching your kids that there are many vital viable options, you're essentially teaching them that what the Bible says is incorrect. That's right. You know, um, because the Bible says that there is there there are not many viable options. And I, right there, Joel, when when someone hears you say that, they'll be like, "Well, wait a minute, you should be open minded." Right. You see, the very fact that you are willing to be open minded over foundational issues shows that you're not open minded Correct. because you're closed minded against the position that says we shouldn't be open minded with respect to these foundational issues. That's right. Which just right. which just um, you know uh, makes clear the point that there is in fact no neutrality. Yeah, um, I was so on I the street. Um, yeah. Oh no, no. Go, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So That's I right. was uh, back in February. I was on the street doing some evangelism. I was down at this event um, called uh, "Declaring Truth at Mardi Gras," and we're on the street. It was my first time street preaching. Um, I lasted thirty minutes, and then I was exhausted, man. I was done. But I was out uh, handing out tracts, and I got into this great conversation with a young man, twenty-five years old, and. We were talking for quite some time. It was a, a wonderful conversation. I here's the thing, I love talking with non-believers. Love it, especially if they're, uh, you know, I, no one is no one is neutral. But if somebody's willing to have a great conversation and sure. and be open and friendly, I love that. So we're talking for quite some time, and he he was he kept on telling me, "Look, I've got nothing against Jesus. I'm not against Jesus. I'm just not convinced. I want to know, you know, and, and that's why I'm talking to you." And suddenly something dawns on me. This man is claiming to be neutral towards Jesus, but Jesus himself doesn't give him that option because mm -hmm. Jesus himself says, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So I thought of that verse and I, I told it to him and I said, you know, my friend, you keep saying that you're neutral towards Jesus, but here's what Jesus actually said. You know what he said? He goes, oh, I could never believe in somebody who said that. And I said, I said, well, so it doesn't sound like you're very neutral towards him. And he goes, yeah, well, you know, imagine if, you know, Drew Brees said, you're either with me or against me. And I said, sure, but Drew Brees is also not claiming to have authority over your life. Right. And by the way, if Drew Brees were to say that, I would rightly be against him. But, but that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is, Jesus claims to be Lord. 
Jesus mm. claims to be your maker and the king and Lord of heaven and earth. That is not somebody that you get to be neutral towards. And by claiming to be neutral, you're saying that what he said in that statement is false. That means you're against him. Neutrality, claim, asserted or um, purported neutrality is a position against the God who says you can't be neutral. And so God was very wise, obviously, definitionally, in not giving man that out, not giving us that option of neutrality. We're with Jesus or against him. And I got to tell you, when I speak to believers and we, we, we recognize that there is no neutrality, Eli, when I talk to you, I talk to other believers that I know, so, That's a blessing. That's a blessed truth. Oh, thank God that he brought me from being against him to now being on his side. That's We don't view that as, as this harsh truth and this harsh statement. We recognize Jesus brought us out of the domain of darkness, out of the kingdom of darkness, and God brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And right. you know, you read Ephesians 1, and, and you see what, what God did as he rescued us and placed us into his family in Christ and the blessings we have. It's a, it's a blessing to know that that dichotomy is there. It's real. There is no neutrality and it's a blessing to be on this side of that dividing line. Sure. Sure. That's good stuff, man. Well, listen, we have uh, some good questions coming in okay. and I want to make sure um, we give time for those questions. And some people are commenting, they found this discussion very helpful. And so Appreciate for that, it. I thank you very much. I think you did an excellent job explaining from experience and um, hopefully people will be able to um, to use this um, in a practical way. So let's jump into some questions and comments. I'm gonna go right back to the top. Uh, let's see here. Gotta, just gonna give me a moment because I have to scroll through. I don't have like a someone who goes through the comments for me and feeds me the, yeah. we, do it the we do it the old fashioned old, way. Old school, we do it ourselves. That's right, that's right. So let's see here. There were a couple. Uh, there we go. Well, it's not a question, but it's a nice comment here. Uh, Jess says, great topic today and on time in my life with my children. I think it's kind of relevant to where she is in her life. Um, okay. Let's see here. Do, 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 do. Sorry, I have to move a little down. All right. Uh, here's a question. Uh, Brenda says, why would you teach children fallacious logic? Uh, assuming this this person is an unbeliever, of course, I've been reading through the comments, so mm -hmm. I'm not sure if this person's an atheist or some kind of non-Christian theist or whatever. Uh, but Brenda thinks uh, that presuppositional apologetics is bunk, mm -hmm. and so um, I would assume that fallacious logic refers to apologetic methodology or something you said. Um, how would you respond to someone who says that presuppositional methodology is just fallacious, a fallacious sort of logic? Yeah, I'd I'd want to know what she means by that. I would imagine she probably means in terms of um, with the, I mean this respectfully, but the tired and unimpressive claim that presuppositional apologetics is circular. I mean, sure, I, yes, right. <laughs> you, you hear it all the time. You hear it yes, all the time. Yes, yes, yes. So, so, um, I mean, there's an answer. Brenda may sure. not like it. Spiritually, things are spiritually discerned, and, sure. um, but th the answer maybe we could pose it in the form of a question. And Brenda, I mean this respectfully. I've got no ill will towards you. Don't know you. But what's wrong with fallacious logic? See, as a Christian, I recognize that fallacious logic is bad. It's problematic. It actually violates the character of God, the nature of God. As a Christian, I believe that logic is rooted in God's perfectly logical character. And logic is, by the way, tied to absolute standards of goodness, 
absolute mm-hmm. standards of truth. So truth, logic, goodness, purity, beauty, righteousness. For for me as a Christian, these things are all linked. So if I'm teaching fallacious logic, that's highly problematic. And that's even sinful if I'm doing so willingly. So I I, I have a major problem with fallacious logic. Now, um, presuppositional, presuppositional methodology is not fallacious. Uh, it's not begging the question and it's not viciously circular. Um, sometimes it gets that reputation simply because people don't understand that all reasoning when it comes down to ultimate standards and foundations is finally, ultimately circular. Sure. So, so if here's, I started, here's some context here. So she says, or uh, he, I don't know if it's a he or she, cause sure. I don't, I don't know the people who post personally, but right. um, Brenda says presupposing God exists is logically fallacious. Okay. Um, I would, I'd wonder if, if Brenda would say that presupposing the non-existence of God is logically fallacious. Right. Yeah. If, if you're going to say presup, if you're going to say, presupposing anything is logically fallacious. I, I mean, well, l- let's, let's look at what it means to presuppose. Well, I guess maybe let's look at logical fallacies. Logical fallacies presuppose absolute standards of logic, rules of logic, laws of logic that are immaterial, unchanging, and um, absolute, universal, knowable, equally ultimate. As a Christian, it, um, as, as a Christian, I would expect that logic would be a thing. As a Christian, when God says, come let us reason together, or describes the Son of God as the Logos, um, or the one in whom all things consist, I would I would fully expect that if a God like that were holding the universe together, sure. that the universe would be governed by laws of logic. Speech and thought would be governed by laws that are identical to the laws of logic. Um, so fallacious, fallacious, uh, uh, sorry, I'm reading what it says on the screen here. Yeah, well, um, presupposing God exists is a fallacy. William Lane Craig says so. So I wonder if she's Joel. trolling us. I wonder if she's trolling us because <laughs> because uh, well, actually, actually, um, Brenda, hopefully, Brenda's not trolling. I would, I would think that, um, hopefully, I'm. We usually sure, don't yeah. get trolls here, so I, let, let's give Brenda benefit of the doubt. Yeah, yeah. Um, William Lane Craig does have a problem with presuppositional apologetics in that he thinks it is circular. Um, he, yeah. It commits what he says, a, a logical howler in the five uh, views of apologetics. Yeah. Uh, but of course, um, as much as I greatly respect Dr. Craig, um, he is not knowledgeable in presuppositional methodology. He doesn't know much about the development of the thought um, and what Van Til was getting at. Indeed, he at one point said in an, in an interview or kind of on a panel, he said that um, Van Til was not a philosopher. Um, mm-hmm. He had a PhD in philosophy. Uh, again, comments like that, I think, are you know, he probably has a passing acquaintance with the methodology and has interacted, um, you know, at a certain level. But definitely um, some of the objections he raises um, do not evince a deep understanding of the nature of presuppositional argumentation. And I say that with great respect. I love Dr. Craig. He's a brilliant uh, philosopher. But in this area, Super I think um, mm-hmm. he's he's way off. But go yeah. ahead. If you wanted to add to that. No, no. I, I think, uh, again, uh, Brenda, I'd really encourage you and and challenge you to examine what you mean by fallacy. Fallacies only make sense. Fallacies make perfect sense within the Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, presupposing that God exists within the biblical worldview, there's no logical contradiction there. There's there's no problem presupposing that God exists if you've adopted the biblical worldview. And it's mm-hmm. within the biblical worldview that logic makes sense and fallacies are a problem. Now, if you start with an unbiblical worldview in which the triune God of Scripture is not the ground of reality and the prime uh, prime reality and, and the explanation for metaphysics and epistemology and everything else— well then, what is logic? What is what is an immaterial law? 
You know, what is what is an absolute law? What is the law of logic other than just your own preference and feeling about how things should operate? And again, Brenda, I say that respectfully, but if logic is just, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but if logic is ultimately not alt, uh, not grounded in God, you're going to have to find another basis for logic. And that that basis for logic is going to have to not only have all those attributes, but is also going to have to be self-revelatory, self-revealing uh, in such a way that he or it has spoken to you and revealed absolute truth to you. Brenda, at that point, you're just talking again about the triune God of scripture. Um, um, real, real quick, um, apart from the fact that Brenda says, I think respectfully here, I'd like to debate Joel. Oh. <laughs> There you go. We'll just put it there. Brenda also says, uh, no one really asserts foundational foundationalism anymore, Joel. Okay. Um, so I guess that appeal to foundations, um, yeah, if you don't have to appeal to a foundation, but you're going to have your worldview planted firmly in thin air. And that yeah, is open to its own set of criticisms right. that are right. rather easy to address. So let's move on to... Okay. Um, uh, and, and, and real quick, by, by saying uh, that's not true that no one asserts foundationalism, but if right. sometimes I might use the word foundation, that doesn't mean I'm alluding to the philosophical school of foundationalism. So that's just, important to note there, because yeah. there are. I have had a guest on. We were talking about foundations, and some of us. So you guys are foundationalists? No, we're not foundationalists. Right. Um, I would say we are presuppositional transcendentalists. At least yeah. that's how I call my position. If you want sure. the technical nomenclature, I, I'd, I'd have to see what exactly you mean by that. But it probably sure. I would probably sure. sign on. Um, Mr. C has a, a, a statement here. Fact: Without their book, I would I would assume he's talking about the Bible. They would have nothing to say. They would just be as clueless as they say non-believers are. Um, what do you say to that? Oh, that's one of the best compliments I've received. <laughs> Listen, uh, what what that tells me is that um, what I'm saying is is firmly rooted in Scripture. Man, by God's grace, I I really hope that that's true. I really hope that uh, I'm accurately reflecting what the Bible teaches. And here's the thing, Mister C, if you were to adopt the biblical worldview, if you were to adopt my book, as you call it, or our book, uh, you too would have clarity in. Uh, reasoning your way out into the world, you would have a, a strong basis or foundation, again, to use that problematic term, but you would have a, a, a strong, sure, steady basis for believing that you can trust your truth-seeking faculties, your reasoning, your interaction with the world, the fact that the world is giving you reliable data when it comes to truth. Um, th it's not as though the Bible is the sole intellectual property of Eli and myself. The Bible's claims are for you. As a matter of fact, I was just talking with my kids. Remember, this is about kids today. So I was just talking with my kids about um, how do we know the Bible is true? And, you know, my kids, uh, this just goes to show you that evidential apologetics really is um, is like ingrained in us from childhood because my kids start talking about evidence. There's evidence that the Bible is true. There's, there's you know, we, we were talking about archaeology and archaeological digs. And we were talking about what is a greater authority, an archaeologist and his statement or God's word in scripture. Eli, I'm talking to you now at this point, right? Because sure. I know you and I agree with that. Well, of and, course, God, God would be more reliable. Uh, obviously, right? So um, so what we were talking about is that the Bible is, a, is the highest authority. That's why the Bible has to be self authenticating because just as God has no one greater than himself by which he could swear, he swears by himself. So the Bible, which is God's word, God's self revelation cannot, um, it's, it's authenticity cannot rest on another standard or else that standard is more ultimate than the Bible. And so um, the Bible is authoritative. So I'm talking with my kids about this and we, as I'm, I'm sort of Socratically 
reasoning with them, we landed on the conclusion. Uh, I led them to the conclusion and they wisely followed um, that, um, that um, the Bible is authoritative over Christians, but not only over Christians. So God's call to repent and trust in Jesus Christ is for Christians, but it's also for Mr. C. And so you can say that it's our book and that we would be clueless without it, but but let me let me just say this to you, Mr. C. I hope that one day uh, you will be like us as well, that you will have answers as well, and not only have answers, but have a good reason for believing that those answers are uh, are truthful. And I would I would uh, warn you that if you ignore what the Bible says, not only will you not have a good basis for your uh, beliefs or for believing that they are true, but ultimately you will stand before God someday. And the same Bible that teaches that you are made in the image of God and you are morally responsible for how you live and how you think even and how you respond to your feelings is the same Bible that says that the wages of sin is death and trying to live autonomously, Mr. C, from God, trying to ignore God is sinful. And I, I want to warn you that God's wrath is prepared for those who who reject Jesus, who who reject God's word. And Eli and I have been giving you a lot of truth in this episode. And Jesus alludes to the idea that we'll be judged on the final day based on how much truth we received. And so I want to warn you, Mr. C, um, not out of self-righteousness or because I think I'm holier than you. I'm probably a much bigger sinner than you. But um, but but that's okay because Jesus came to save sinners. So I want to urge you and invite you to repent and trust in Jesus Christ who died for sinners like you and like me. And you can receive him as your Lord and Savior today. And you can be on this side with us and you can be saying, man, if it weren't for God's word, I'd be just as clueless as I was uh, back when I saw we'll get, that video. We'll get Mr. C on the show to talk we'll, about We'll get him on. <laughs> Amen. That's right. That's right. Mr. C also makes a statement here. He says, I appreciate Joel's honesty. And I, I'm sure Joel appreciates that you appreciate his honesty because I hope you don't think Joel is being dishonest. Um, you know, people might think we're crazy for being Christians and believing what we believe, but hopefully um, what comes across is that we are being genuine when we say we believe it. So that that's definitely um, a compliment there. But uh, Mr. C says, I appreciate Joel's honesty. He admits that he's a believer because of upbringing and a woman. Yeah. Most yeah. apologists won't admit that their conversions were that simply based. Um, to be perfectly honest, based upon your story that you shared at the beginning, I don't see how one could draw the conclusion that the only reason why you're a believer is because of how you were brought up and because of a woman. But why don't you um, correct that statement based upon uh, what you believe as a Christian and how you believe all this salvation stuff works? Sure. Yeah. Ultimately, um, Mr. C has to be careful of committing the genetic fallacy that says how you came to a belief uh, has it has an impact on its truthfulness. So let's say that I did come to my belief based on my upbringing and a woman that would have no bearing whatsoever on whether on the veridicality of the belief on the truthfulness of the belief. Mm -hmm. So that, that isn't how I became a, a Christian. Um, I became a Christian because the Holy spirit opened my eyes to the truth of God's word. And I repented and received Jesus Christ as my savior and Lord. I think that that happened when I was five and I prayed to receive Jesus into my heart. It may not have happened until later in life. Only God knows for sure. Cause I've had different, you know, quote unquote experiences that you might compare it to something like a conversion, but, um, to say, well, uh, and I understand that this is kind of a backhanded compliment and I I'll, I'll take it. That's fine. I'll take all the compliments I can get, but, <laughs> um, uh, better than being called intellectually dishonest, which is what I get normally when people don't want to engage yeah. in this apologetic, but 
Um, but how I came to my belief or how Eli came to his belief is completely immaterial as to the truthfulness of the belief. So what you've got to wrestle with, Mr. C, and what I hope you can see, and I hope that you will come to believe, is that the Bible is true completely regardless of whether or not Eli or I believe it or you believe it or how we came to our beliefs or or our disbeliefs. I mean, you may have come to, you may have been a member of a church and then were turned off by the church and uh, left the faith. And um, far be it from me to say, well, your belief is invalid because of how you came to believe it or your your unbelief, mm-hmm. uh, your position. No, I'd want to know who you are. I'd want to know uh, what you actually believe. And then we can examine your worldview internally and see if it if it makes sense and if it's internally consistent and if it's if it comports with reality or corresponds with reality. But um, but to say to maybe you're just implying this that one's the truth content of a position, is has uh, any correlation whatsoever to how someone came to believe it is uh, fallacious. And as a Christian, I have a problem with logical fallacies, as we talked earlier. Um, well, the latter part there, it says most apologists won't admit that their conversions were that simply based. I'm not sure what, what he means by that. Almost, uh, I mean, there are not a lot of apologists who say that they were saved because some dramatic apologetics experience either. Right. If you think about it, right? Right. Um, look at take take a William Lane Craig. Uh, he wasn't converted because of apologetics. Um, most apologists that I know weren't converted because of apologetics. I mean, it definitely helped, you know, give some uh, reasons for some of the things that they were believing. Um, but I'm not sure who's in view when 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 he says most apologists. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, I don't know. People's stories aren't aren't simple. <laughs> there are a lot of complicated right. and multifaceted reasons, uh, right. things that God uses to bring someone to faith. Um, but at any rate, let's move along here. Um, Dylan says you should do an episode on Calvin and presuppositionalism. As a matter of fact, that would be an excellent idea. Hopefully I can get someone from Westminster who could um, bridge that important gap and make that connection because there's definitely an important connection with um, Calvin and the presuppositional methodology. Okay. Uh, the Christian worldview project asks, uh, how much is Joel's microphone? <laughs> Jordan. Is that a personal question? That's a personal question. That's a, that's a, uh, yes. Uh, that's a, listen, uh, God owns the cattle on a thousand Hills. Uh, so, um, Money is no object. No, um, uh, I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> Send me a DM, Jordan. Come on, man. Why are you asking me these questions? <laughs> I love. Okay, Je- Jess asks the question: How would you? And she was saying that I think her son or someone said this to her. Um, how would you answer this question from a child? Who is the face of evil? <laughs> that, that, love, sounds like, that sounds like a kid question, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, I, and I got to tell you, this is why I love kids questions because they throw they, you off man they throw they, you off they do. it's like <laughs> what does that mean the face of evil like like evil has a face and someone has that face and i want to know who dad i love that question you know what i would do I have, uh, I have I, hit. this is the face of evil right here there you go i love it you there know what i go. would that, do that's the face of evil that's good yeah yeah show them that shirt <laughs> or um you know hold up a mirror Ooh, getting okay because Dropping that total depravity joints. <laughs> I mean, how it depends on how old your kid is, right? Because right. At, at the end of the day, so my kids learned about sin very early on. I've been catechizing my my oldest since he was three. He's nine now. And I remember at one point, Jacob turns to Fia, our second born, and he goes, they're like toddlers, Eli. I think Fia was one sure. or two. Okay. And Jacob goes, Fia, you're bad. 
And she goes, I'm not bad. He goes, yes, you are, Fia. You're bad. She goes, I am not bad. And he goes, you're a sinner. <laughs> With all the gusto of a fundamentalist firebrand preacher, man. It was, That's awesome. It was a state to be old. And so, you know, I have to talk to my kids about, look, we're all <laughs> sinners, but that doesn't mean you get to judge your siblings. We deal with each other by grace as God deals That's with awesome. us. But, um, <laughs> but, but who's the face of evil? Well, you could say Satan, you know, you could say sure. you ultimately what every child needs to learn and what, and God help us if we aren't internalizing this truth about ourselves is sure. that uh, sin, the, the human heart is desperately wicked and sick and deceitful according to jeremiah who's the face of evil well jess i am i'm you can show her a picture of joel sedicase and you can say that's the face of evil and he's the worst sinner that he knows and the lord jesus christ saved him from the depths of his sin so there you go if you need an example I'm happy to play that example, but just make sure you tell him what God did by his grace, by sending his son, Jesus Christ to die for me. Mm. And I'm, I'm sure there are countless Christians the world over who would say the exact same thing, because yeah. once we start comparing our sin to somebody else, again, yeah, Satan, sure. You could say Satan's the ultimate you know, embodiment of evil, but, um, but what God does is God overcomes evil one way or the other. God overcomes evil. That's how great God is. And okay. so if you show him the face of evil, make sure you, you tell your child about the incredible greatness of God's grace. Mm, very good. Drop that law and gospel on them. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Dylan asks, uh, where did Calvin differ from Van Til's apologetic? Um, you can take that or I can take that. That's Oh, uh, no, that's all you. Go ahead. Okay. Um, well, you have to understand that Van Til uh, is um, speaking of argumentation along transcendental lines, which are categories that Calvin uh, was not <laughs> was not dealing right. with. <laughs> he wasn't dealing with uh, transcendental categories. Right. Um, however, Van Til, um, so, so in that sense, they differ. Van Til is giving a robust transcendental formulation of the truth of the Christian worldview, whereas Calvin is not doing apologetics along those lines. Um, if you study the apologetic tradition of, of the reformers, um, a lot of them were along classical lines. I mean, that's why classical apologetics is called classical apologetics. It has been the way apologetics has been done classically. So um, you do have argumentation over whether uh, Calvin was a classicalist or whether he repudiated argumentation altogether. Um, but um, they differ in the projects that they're doing. Calvin is speaking to a different context. Van Til is formulating uh, responses to skepticism and trying to bring together some of the theological insights of Calvin um, into a consistent apologetic methodology that flows from what Van Til believed to be uh, Christianity come to its own, namely Calvinism. Um, again, so re the reform theology, the Calvinism of Van Til and presuppositional methodology as an apologetic uh, defense, uh, Van Til desired to put forth an apologetic that flowed out of a consistent application of um, Calvinism as he understood it. Um, so uh, they're, they're different in the projects that they're doing. Van Til's dealing with idealistic and Kantian philo philosophical categories. Calvin is, you know, the, the lead theologian of the Reformation period. And so he's dealing with Roman Catholicism and things like that. And so uh, they're different in their emphasis and their different difference um, 
comes in their context because they're in a different context. The things that they're saying are going to be very different. So um, Vantil has a greater apologetic emphasis in terms of objective argumentation along transcendental lines. And Calvin, obviously, given his historical context, was not very much involved in those sorts of things. Okay, good question. All right. Um, let's see here. Kyperian Berean asks, should you discuss the transcendental argument with your child? Um, I don't know if 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 Joel is coming back. Um, he seemed like he walked away from his screen, which is completely fine. Um, but we'll continue to move along for now. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think you should um, you should discuss the transcendental argument with your kid, but you don't have to call it transcendental argument, right? Um, again, like I said at the beginning, it's important that when we learn the biblical apologetic, uh, the biblical way of thinking along these presuppositional lines, the scripture being our foundation, what you want to do when you teach your kids is to contextualize these things. You know, instead of instead of when I explain transcendental argumentation with young people, I don't call it transcendental argumentation, although they are well within their capacity to learn that, um, you know, if if a kid knows what that a Pikachu uh, evolves into a Raichu, right? Then a kid could know that a transcendental argument basically asks this question, what must be true in order for something else to be true? Simple. That That's kind of a, a, a sort of transcendental um, question. So you can um, discuss these issues, right? Um, you can use biblical categories. So I love the uh, the passage in the book of Psalms where it says, in his light, we see light. You know, what does that, what is the, the, the precondition? What must be true in order for us to see, to have knowledge, to have a proper understanding? Well, we must see things in light of God's light, in light of his revelation, in light of what he's provided, in light of his divine commentary as to the nature of the world and how we should understand it. So yeah, absolutely. I think you should talk to your children about transcendental arguments, although feel free to um, talk about it without using that, that kind of a complex philosophical terminology. Okay. Uh, did you want to uh, add to that, Joel, at all before we move on to the next question? No, no, I, I agree. I think you, you take kids, I guess I do, real quick. Uh, uh, <laughs> take kids' no level of development and, and the knowledge that they have into account and uh, and respond accordingly. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, Nick uh, Smelser, Smelser, Smelker. I do that's, apologize. That's probably right. I always call him Smelker. He watches my show. And, and okay. All right. He's a good uh, question. He says, I have a six and eight, uh, six and eight year old boys at this age level. What are some good things to consider in introducing apologetics? We're going through catechids now for a doctrinal foundation. Um, why don't you take that one, Joel? Oh man, that, that's awesome, Nick. Thanks for asking that question. And thank you for going through catechids. Uh, bro, give me any feedback that you have about it too. Um, I've been very blessed to see how that resource has been uh, has been blessing others. Um, uh, so, so what resources to use? Man, you and your wife, I'm assuming you're married, Nick. I don't know you that well, are the best resources. Um, so you're laying down a foundation. Your kids are six and eight. It, here's what you can do. As your kids are watching cartoons or whatever, anything that has a message, playing video games, reading books, story time, you be listening to the messages that they're receiving and even um, go so far as to read those, read or watch them beforehand. I mean, I will, I will sometimes do that. I'll watch a movie 
before my kids watch it so that I make sure, Hey, is this safe for my kids? If it's, you know, if it's borderline, um, but be prepared to ask those questions, be prepared to stop the movie and ask the question, okay, what's being taught here? What are they saying? What, what does that mean? How does that line up with scripture? And don't just let them get away with the Sunday school answers. The, the easy peasy, you know, Jesus is the answer to everything and Bible is the answer to everything else. Um, what's being taught, okay, and what does the Bible say about this? What does God's word say? Be ready to ask those questions and introduce uh, that real world cultural interaction and worldview analysis. You can absolutely do that at ages six and eight. Um, when my son was four, Lucas, when he was four or maybe five, he was in the hospital and he was talking with one of his nurses and uh, a male nurse and they're, they're talking. And, you know, I try to model evangelism for my kids. So I'm kind of trying to strike up a conversation with, uh, with this guy. He's really just a great dude, but we're, we're talking. And I, I asked him, so I mentioned how we're Christians and I said something along the lines of, uh, so do you consider yourself religious or spiritual at all? That's a great question to ask, by the way. I highly recommend it. And he goes, well, you know, I was raised Buddhist. And so I I guess I'm still Buddhist, but, uh, you know, I do believe in God. I I sort of believe that there's one God, but I'm not sure. And, um, and Lucas, who was like, again, four at the time, looks up at him from his hospital bed and goes, I won't tell you the, the guy's name, but he goes, let's say his name is Danny. He goes, Danny, there's only one God, not a million. And he <laughs> says it with this conviction. And uh, the nurse looks at him and you, you wouldn't believe how hot he got under his collar. He starts getting all, for Clint, <laughs> he, he's, he's getting all nervous and goes, I know, I, I know, I know. And it's so funny to see this guy hemming and hawing in response to this four or five-year-old little boy, because guess what? Danny, the nurse is created in the image of God and and created with the knowledge of God. So Mm -hmm. all it took was a little kid saying uh, a a strong, giving a strong affirmation that there's only one God and that Danny knew it, knew him basically very Romans one. And that's all it took to convict this guy. And it was just the the greatest thing to see. And look, all glory goes to (laughs) God. And he's after that, you are a sinner. (laughs) (laughs) His his, his older brother came in for that. Okay. Uh, Okay. okay. Yeah. You know, um, all glory goes to God, but I know it's because Elisa and I have been laying down that foundation Mm -hmm. that there is one God. Look, the first, the first question of the catechids catechism is who is God? And the answer is, the Lord is God. And the second question is, I've revised it over the years, but originally it was, um, is there more than one true God? Now it says, is there any true God besides the Lord? Same same uh, general gist. Sure. And the answer is simple, no. So uh, those two questions, Lucas had learned those two questions when he was very young, and that's all he needed to apply to that apologetic situation. So if you're laying down a foundation and you're 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 quizzing your kids and you're you're um, drilling your kids and you're pausing the movie, um, you're their best resource. Um, I, I will say there is, as far as I know, there's a real dearth of really good quality presuppositional children's material out there. I've toyed with the idea of writing a uh, presuppositional catechism type thing. Um, I, I don't know of any really great books that are good for kids. I think parents just need to study it and teach it to their kids in simple ways. And that'll really help the parents know it better as well. 
because you learn 90%, 99% of what you teach or whatever the statistic is. Yeah. Eli, I like how would how you, you say that? I like how you say that they're the best resource because a lot of people think like, well, maybe I could do this if mm-hmm. I get this other person to talk to my kid or if yeah. I buy this, that, or book, or if I take a course here, it's like, well, no, yeah. um, you're the best resource. You're closest to you. You know, your kid better than, you know, someone writing a book out there, mm-hmm. right? You learn the material, contextualize it and find strategic ways to, um, uh, to really use that information and watch episodes like this. Look for what people have to say and make it your own and contextualize. I think it's very important. Oh, one, um, one more thing on that too. Yeah, Sure. Um, if you're doing family worship times with your kids, and I hope you are, if you're not, please start. Um, as you're taking your kids through the gospel, pay special attention to those apologetic encounters Jesus has with the Pharisees, scribes, and Sadducees. Mm-hmm. Because guess what? Jesus is reasoning with them in a presuppositional way. Mm-hmm. Jesus used presuppositional apologetics. I almost feel bad calling it presupp with regard to the, like, it's the Lord. Like, whatever he's doing. No, no, he he did. We know how you cast out demons. You cast right, out that, demons yeah. by the power of Beelzebub. Yeah, Jesus is like... Jesus is like, well, if I cast out demons by the power of Beelzebub, by what power do you cast them out when you do the same thing? Right. You just got precept, you know? You so got precept. That's, right. <laughs> That's right. That's awesome. Uh, Kyperian Berean says, um, I think Oliphant's Covenantal Apologetics is a great book on thinking biblically and theologically. I agree. I like Oliphant's book. I had Oliphant on the, on the show a while back. That uh, was a really good episode. You guys should check that out. Um, Jess says, I have two children. I have to teach them about God. I Th- love this episode. Of course, it's very helpful. Thank you so much uh, for that. Uh, Mr. C uh, asks a good question here. Uh, when your child encounters a Muslim, Mormon, Hindu, etc., and that child claims that their God is true, how do you teach them to debate the issue of different gods? Great question. So again, it starts with the foundation of knowing that who is God? The Lord is God. Is there more? Uh, is is there more than one true God, or are there are there any true gods besides the Lord? No. Mm-hmm. So um, it really depends on your child's age. But my kids, again, they're homeschooled. We're just wrapping up our first full year of homeschooling. God bless my wife. And my kids have learned about pagan religions. They've learned about Greek polytheism. They've learned about uh, traditional Aztec religion. They've learned about uh, uh, traditional Chinese religion. And so they're being exposed to it within the context of a Christian home, Christian family. And the great thing about homeschooling, by the way, just a quick shout out and, and, and endorsement of homeschooling, you get to curate your kid's experience. You get to curate your, their exposure to these other worldviews. So um, Mormonism, uh, Islam, Hinduism, and man, when we're talking about Hinduism, there are multiple varieties of Hinduism. So it's really sure. hard to paint with a broad brush, although I do sometimes if we're just speaking um, in terms of generalities. But if you're thinking presuppositionally, you'll always know the right questions to ask Correct. any variety of, of Hinduism. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's exactly it. What you want to do is you want to teach your children to examine worldviews internally. What does that mean? How do they know or how do they claim to know? What are the implications of that is another great question. So, for example, Islam is in many ways the best competitor to Christianity. I'm not saying it comes close to the biblical worldview, but I'm saying in terms of right now, Islam, uh, because it has its own version of theism, monotheism, is in in many respects similar to Christianity, at least at the surface level. And sure. so with, with Islam, you have to dig... And by the way, they have uh, what they claim to be a revealed book. Uh, 
a revealed holy book. Which, by the way, I'm going to stop you there. His next statement there was a qualifier as to how not to answer his question, which I'm very happy because the way you answered his question, you're answering his question is not the way he said not to answer it. So um, you could respond to Muslims, Hindus, and whatever without quoting the Bible. A presuppositionalist doesn't need to just sit there and quote scripture and say, I'm right, you're wrong. Um, That would be a very superficial understanding of a presuppositional approach. Right, right. But... um, when he says those kids have their books as well, um, apart from Islam, all of the other books you refer to either piggyback the Bible. And so there are, they're very open to criticisms and inconsistencies there. Um, other, uh, the non, you know, monotheistic religions don't have the same sort of revelation, uh, as the Bible claims for itself. So to say that they have their books as well, as though those books are making similar claims, that's right. actually not the case. Yeah, and I think that's very important. The biblical worldview is the only one that even claims to have anything like the God that we have. It's not like there's another... See, here's the thing. For this for this universe to make sense, to make sense of the universe, maybe we should say, um, biblical Christianity in which God is triune, so that so the primary metaphysic, the the base of all reality, the one behind it all, if I'm explaining to a kid like like God who created everything, the fact that he's triune is the only game in town. Um, is Islam has a conception of God that is, you, you might think, well, it's pretty close because there's one God, but he's just not triune. In fact, Muslims say that well, that even makes it better because it's simpler. Look, the fact that God is not triune presents huge problems for accounting for the existence of logic, the existence of unity and diversity, identity and differentiation, fact and law. The 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 Muslim God does not even come. The more I study this, the more I'm just impressed with this fact. The Muslim God does not even come close to accounting for human experience, the nature of the cosmos. It doesn't it doesn't correspond with reality, and um, and it doesn't explain the laws of thought and the laws of language that we need to be there. In order to make sense of reality, so uh, and then there's the question of could a monad, uh, a unitarian conception of God, even communicate with his creatures? Could he love his creatures without that attribute of love being dependent in some way upon his creatures? Unlike the triune God, where the Bible says God is love. So, um, so you don't you're not going to sit there and just quote the Bible, but you better know the Bible. You better know what the Bible does teach, and you better be able to, as Eli, as you very uh, articulated very well. You better know how to ask the right questions of any worldview because you know what, if I'm talking to, um, you know, your typical, uh, I guess, mainstream Sunni Muslim, the answers that he gives and the way he gives his answers and even the the authoritative texts and tradition that he's going to accept is going to be vastly different than like an Ahmadiyya Muslim. Ahmadi Muslim, uh, Ahmadi Muslims aren't even counted as Muslims by Sunnis. You know, they, they view Ahmadis as we view Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, so you need to really take your apologetic down to the person level and find out what does this person actually believe. Eli, my computer is about to die. If it does, I will jump on a different computer. Okay, so I'll be back, but my sound quality and, and picture might not be as good. But I just want to let you know that. That's okay. We'll, we'll just keep moving along. There are some really good questions coming in, um, and I do want to address them. If, Why don't you if take it's the okay, I know one? we're going. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, a wise man sees trouble coming and prepares for it, but a fool keeps going and is punished, according to Proverbs. So I'm going to see trouble coming right now and prepare for it. I'm going to go switch computers. So I'll be right back. 
Yeah. All right. Very good. Um, all right. So the Christian Worldview Project asks, if unbelievers already know that God exists, uh, what level of knowledge does an unbeliever really have about this God that we are defending? Um, yeah. The level of knowledge is described in, in Romans chapter one, right? Um, what can be known about God is made known to them through what has been made, um, his eternal power, his uh, invisible attributes, things like that. Um, it's a limited knowledge, but it is a sufficient knowledge for their condemnation. Um, so now if you want to get into the specifics, does the do the unbeliever, uh, does the unbeliever know the Trinity and things like that? That's a more complicated and technical answer. But um, just from a, a very simplistic way of addressing the question, they have a sufficient level of knowledge for their condemnation. Um, so, uh, that's what I would say with respect to kind of the level of knowledge. You don't want to get into some of the specifics because, um, the Bible is just letting us know that man has a sufficient knowledge for the condemnation. It doesn't give us all of the metaphysical ingredients as to what that is. Um, and there are ways to expose the fact that they know God by using a presuppositional approach. I think a presuppositional approach does very well to show, uh, the knowledge of God that the unbeliever is, um, suppressing as Romans chapter one, uh, says. Uh, Mr. C asked the question, aren't you simply teaching your children what to believe? Uh, no, uh, when you teach, uh, well, yes and no. Um, when you teach uh, someone how to think that is, uh, intimately connected to the, what you cannot, you cannot speak of the how without also simultaneously speaking of the what, right? Um, so, uh, the, what the content and the, how the method, um, are, are, they are not disjointed and disconnected. They must be together. Otherwise it'd be meaningless. You know, if I were to say how to think, think about what, uh, you're going to have to fill in the what, no, uh, no matter what, <laughs> sorry to, to say what so many times. Um, so yeah, we teach our kids what to believe, but it's not a simple dogmatic assertion. We also think we also teach our children how to think about those things, why we believe them right? Why we don't believe other things, right? So it's not just a either or a situation here. When we're um, teaching our children, we want to do so in a holistic fashion, employing all the different uh, items of um, human experience and how we think about them and how we're consistent with our foundations, why our foundations are true, uh, why um, anyone who holds to a different foundation um, has... Um, you know, problems. We explore that um, as we interact with other worldview perspectives, right? So there are different ways you can go about uh, doing that. All right. So here, Mr. C goes on. Shouldn't we teach our, our kids how to believe things rather than simply what to believe? Um, well, again, you're going to have to have a what even before you, you, you don't just tell someone how to believe something independently of them already believing, you know, content. Right. And that content, some some they just know innately and others you have to teach them. So you cannot divorce the what from the how. All right. Okay. Let's see here. Are you guys anyone else? Uh, let's see here. Da, 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 da. Moving down here. Let's see. Blake Isaac asks, are you saying without scripture, you couldn't know there is a God? Well, without scripture, since scripture forms uh, really the basis for our metaphysic epistemology and ethic, our worldview foundation, without the biblical worldview, you couldn't make sense out of anything. Uh, without God's revelation, you couldn't make sense out of, out of anything. Um, again, people can make knowledge claims, but then uh, what is the justification for those knowledge claims? And uh, we'd have to ask kind of those more deeper and fundamental questions. Now, yes, I understand that there was a time before uh, the Bible uh, existed, but there was never a time, according to the Christian worldview, uh, in which revelation never existed. 
natural and special revelation always existed and always provided a context for uh, interpretation. Um, it just so happens that when uh, God's revelation is codified um, progressively uh, through written revelation, we have a more fleshed out uh, revelatory context out of which we can make sense out of our worldview and things like that. All right, good question. Um, let's see here. Do, 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 do. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Uh, vipers and diapers. That's a good one. I guess a totally depraved baby. <laughs> that's that's a good one here. All right. Let's uh, continue down. And I believe, I believe that was, those were the last questions. Okay. Sorry if I went through that rather quickly. We are coming up on two hours here. Um, so um, especially that one with, um, uh, what's that one question was really good. Was the question, are we saying, are we saying, what was that question here? Okay. So this question the Bible, was, we couldn't know that. Yeah, that, that's a good, that's a good question and perhaps mm -hmm. deserves more attention. Um, but I, I, I guess that. I would re, I would reiterate what I said that there's never a time in history, according to the biblical worldview in which there was no special revelation. Special revelation and natural revelation always existed. It just so happens that the Bible is the written manifestation and more clarified, more detailed um, revelatory, um, you know, knowledge that's, that's given to us by God. Um, so, yeah, you do need revelation within our perspective. I would say from a presuppositional perspective, we would hold to what is called um, a revelational epistemology. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, that question is a good question. Perhaps deserves uh, more, more detail and more time to explain, but, uh, Do, good I have time to jump in on that really quick. Or yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, so the, the, uh, the, um, the question has to do with, you know, do you need scripture to know that there is a God, uh, not according to scripture, not, which would be another way of saying no. Um, because, According to the biblical worldview, and I think that I mean I know that this is. Hold on, let me let me let me rewind a little bit. I'm just getting back onto to Streamyard. I'm on my my wife's computer. Things look a little differently right now, but it looks good. Um, yeah, you're fine. Okay, okay, praise God. Well, so um, no, so God's eternal, God's invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen ever since the creation of the world, having been revealed in the things that have been made. So, Blake, what that means is this. The creation itself testifies to you, me, and everybody else, completely even in the absence of special revelation, uh, inscripturated revelation or prophecy, that um, not, not only that God is there, but that the specific God who is there is there. So not just that there is a God, but that the God whose divine nature is, as the Bible says he is, and the God who has the specific eternal power and has it eternally, that the Bible says is there, is there. And so, um, so while that knowledge is enough for culpability, it's enough to condemn, because we know enough, and, and look, if I'm going to fill in some of the gaps in that in that statement, uh, if I'm going to sort of flesh that out, I guess we could say maybe, I don't want to imply that there's gaps, but if I could maybe flesh that out a little bit, it might be a little bit more theologically safe way to put it. 
what do we know uh, uh, based based on the things that have been made? What do we what can we know about God? His His eternal power and divine nature. Well, we we know something about morality, don't we? We know something about mathematics, don't we? We know something about um, about logic, don't we? We know something about the intelligibility of the cosmos and and the possibility of scientific inquiry and other forms of inquiry. We know something about love. We experience a form of love in our families and our relationships and our friendships. Uh, we know we know something about beauty and truth and goodness. And and so um, God's eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen in all societies, in all cultures, although, so again, ask yourself this, based on what non-believers, and I don't know if you consider yourself one or not, but based on what non-believers know, even, even the limited knowledge that they have about God's nature and God's power, and, and we might say about their obligations, do does anyone actually live up to what even they would say they ought to live up to? Does anyone even live up to their own ethical standards, moral standards? Like, there's there's this idea that everyone has that we ought to act a certain way. I ought to do certain things. I ought to wake up earlier. I ought to treat people with more kindness. I ought to serve people more. I ought to be less selfish. I ought to lie less. Get drunk less. Whatever Whatever your thing is, whether it's big or small, you don't live up to your own standard. Neither do I. Question is, how, how is how is there this standard that we all have that stands over and against us and even accuses us? You ever think about why? How could that be? If if morality is just this internal thing, why don't I live up to this standard? Why do I feel like there's a standard over against me? You know, why when I lie do I feel that twinge in my conscience? Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Why? Based on what? Why is it wrong to lie? See, God's eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen in the creation of the world. It's ingrained in the fabric of the world. I don't need the Bible to see that, but the Bible sure does explain why it's the case. Mm. So it's not enough. The, the, the knowledge that we have of God is not enough to save us. It's only enough to sin against and to make us guilty when we sin. So on Judgment Day, no one's going to be able to stand before God and go, oh, sorry, I didn't have a Bible. I didn't know you existed. You know, and God's going to go, oh, well, you know, it was a toss-up, really. The world did seem pretty neutral, didn't it? No. God's, God's going to go, look at all the information I gave you. Look at look at what the way you said other people should act, and then you didn't live up to your own standard. Do you think you lived up to mine? And Or did you really think that you were the ultimate standard of goodness, truth, and beauty? Come on, you didn't believe that. Mm -hmm. God's not going to speak to us like that, right? But, but he could. And... Um, and so, so no, we don't need a Bible to know about God's eternal power and divine nature, but we do need a Bible to reveal how we can be saved for violating God's eternal power and divine nature. Right. That is where the gospel comes in. And I'm gonna, I, I, I keep coming back to the gospel because it's the most important thing anyone can know. Hmm. Very good. Thank you for that. Now let's take this last question here. Um, I think this is appropriate for our topic. Uh, Jess um, asks, study plans with kids. I've been doing parables. Any tips? Love it. Jess, that's awesome. Absolutely. Study the Bible with your kids. Let me tell you what I do, not because this is the way that everyone needs to do it, but because it works for us. I think it's a good way of doing it. Okay, here's what we do. Three or four years ago, our kids' ministry at our old church challenged us to read through the Gospel of John. It was like over the summer, the course of the summer. I, well, we did it. I'll say this. I don't know how many families did it, but we ended up doing it. Reading through the entire Gospel of John. What we did was this. We would read like 
maybe a chapter a night, but oftentimes just one pericope. And if you don't know what a pericope is, it's those little sections in the Bible that have little headings that, you know, the heading's not really there in the original text, but it kind of makes it easier to understand what's going on. So we'll read one of those sections or else we'll read a chapter or a few of those little sections. And then we'll talk about it. And what do we talk about? Well, it depends on where we're reading in the Bible. But um, but we'll talk about it. We'll discuss it. And if you want to know what we talk about, I'm happy to, to tell you about that. But we read, that summer we read John. And then I think we I think we went to Matthew after that and probably Mark and probably Luke after that. Um, but now what we do is we just read through the Bible. So several months back, let's say nine months ago, something like that, we started in uh, Joshua. And the reason why I wanted to start in Joshua is because I wanted to read the part of the Bible that was the most similar to Lord of the Rings or Narnia. Like, where's the action, man? Like, where are the battles? You know what I mean? So we started in Joshua, and I figured we'll just keep reading. So we read Joshua, then we read Judges. Ooh, a lot of good stuff in Judges. Uh, then we read um, Ruth, and that was nice for the ladies. You know, the girls like Ruth. The boys, the boys <laughs> need to learn to love Ruth as well. There's a lot of romance in Ruth. And then we did, we so, and so on and so forth. You know where we are now? We are now in 1 Kings chapter 2. David has just died. But you know what? We would have been further, but we took a hiatus and we went and read through Matthew because it was Christmas. So we spent Christmas through Easter reading through Matthew. And um, just so happened, God worked it out perfectly that we pretty much ended Matthew. We got to the crucifixion right about at Good Friday. We got to the resurrection right about at Easter. God just worked it out that way. Um, but here's, and then we went back to First Kings. Here's my point, Jess. Sorry, this is a long-winded way of answering this because I, <laughs> I get excited about this. Okay. Is, is read the Bible one section at a time and talk about it with your kids. What's going on here? Who can summarize the story for us, kids? How does this point to Jesus? And, and Jess, you're going to be amazed at how God just makes his word come alive, not only for the kids, but for you as well. And man, you want to talk about teaching your kids apologetics? Teach them the word. Teach them the word. Teach them Teach them what, what it is they're going to be out there defending. They're not defending a bunch of propositions. They're defending God's word, the truth of God's word, the truth of the biblical mm -hmm. worldview. So, man, just, just prop, uh, you said you've been doing parables. That, that's great. What I would suggest, do, do whole gospels. See mm -hmm. the parables in their gospel narrative context. You know, so like, like when Jesus says um, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, and Jesus makes that, that statement, he goes, even if someone were to rise from the dead. If they don't believe in Moses and the prophets, they still wouldn't believe even if someone rose from the dead. Which, by the way, Eli, great presuppositional statement there, right? They don't believe the Bible, they won't believe the resurrection. That's um, right. But read that and then take that on to the end of the story where you actually see Jesus rising from the dead and see how mm -hmm. people reacted to it. So you see, then you get the parable, then you get the, the actual, um, the experience of seeing Jesus' words coming true before your very eyes. So uh, if you're reading in Luke, for example, Luke's got a lot of parables. Read the whole gospel of Luke and, yeah. and see if God blesses that. I think he will. Uh, but Eli, yeah, what would you say? Yeah, well, I mean, um, it's really what we were getting at before. And I, you have to understand, you know, how do you teach precept to, to the kids? I mean, it's precept is more than just apologetics. Um, when we were saying something about that, it's teaching you how to think. It's not simply teaching you how to think about defending the faith. It's teaching you how to think as a Christian, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Yeah. So presuppositional apologetics is not simply something we do to unbelievers, right? Defending the faith. It's something that spills over into everything that we do, yeah. right? Um, 
bringing every thought captive, right? Our thoughts can, you know, affect how we act. Everything that we do, everything that we say needs to be governed by the Lordship of Jesus Christ, which apologetics is just one branch of that, right? It's applying what you should be doing in the Christian life in general to a specialized area of our interactions with unbelievers, right? So the beauty of the presuppositional approach is that in learning how to do it, it will force you to know the scriptures. It will force you to confront Christ in the word of God and remind you, um, you know, ad nauseum of the importance of his lordship over your life, over your thinking. Okay. So we don't just apply presuppositional apologetics to um, the unbelievers. We apply that kind of thinking to everything. And you know what? When we apply it to how we live, that's actually part of the apologetic as well, isn't it? It's not simply my ability to um, formulate um, an argument, a transcendental, um, you know, critique um, against the unbeliever's position, because sometimes we can provide very powerful arguments, yet the character of our lives actually shoots our entire presentation in the foot. Right. Because, you know, people tend to think of the character of the person, you know, giving the argument, not just the argument that's being given. Mm -hmm. So you want to understand presuppositional apologetics is a small part of a broader, more holistic way of living the Christian life. And I think that's very, very important to keep in mind. Um, well, let's conclude there. Okay. Um, I'm glad we went two hours. Someone might look at that and be like, that's really long. But you know, if people are uh, messaging me saying, hey, I wish we had more information about this specific topic. You have two hours. <laughs> That's right. Go for a run, go for a drive, listen to this discussion and, and draw some helpful principles out of it um, and apply it to your lives. Um, I love Bonson. I love Van Til. I love Frame. I love some of the classical works as well. But you know what? It sounds overly Christian and cliche, but I'm going to say it. The best book and apologetics is the Bible, Amen. right? Most, most of the criticisms against the Christian faith, whether it's from the atheist, the Muslim, the Mormon, most of them are based upon misunderstandings of scripture. So don't think that in order to interact with the atheist, for example, you need to learn all this science and philosophy. That's all important. Right. But really the best defense is knowing what you believe and why. That's and being able to make the corrections to point people to the truth, um, you know, bring the law of God to bear upon them, right? These are all important um, elements. And the Bible really is that foundation, as Joel was speaking about before, laying that foundation. And that foundation is not some vague, ambiguous abstraction. It is the propositional content of God's word. And so you want to be a good Amen. biblical presuppositional apologist? Um, sure. You want to read Bonson? You want to read Van Til? I encourage you to do so because there's a treasure trove of information there. But even they will tell you that you need to get back to the scriptures. Okay. So with that said, um, I think this is a good place to conclude. I would love to have uh, Joel on again to talk about uh, another topic of, of uh, apologetic significance or maybe evangelism or something like that. Just listening to you talk, you have a very evangelistic tone and evangelistic feel to, to how you go about things. And I think that that is a good balance to uh, what sometimes we can kind of just throw the intellectual side out, right? Not, not that I want to kind of dichotomize intellect and evangelism, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We tend to focus on the 
the specifics of the philosophy and the argumentation, I like how you draw together that evangelistic heart behind it as well. So I think that's very important when we're doing apologetics. All right. Well, um, would would you like to say anything um, as we close out here, Joel? Yeah, Eli, I really appreciate this opportunity, man. This this has been uh, just, in, in from my perspective, a wonderful conversation. I've really enjoyed awesome. it. I really appreciate the work you're doing, brother. And um, I guess what I'd like to say is if anyone has heard what we've talked about tonight, if you want to get a resource, and Eli, I hope you're okay with me. Uh, Absolutely. Can I, can I talk about my ministry for like Of course, go for it. Go for it. Okay, so if um, so, I did write a, a catechism. It's called uh, it's called Catechids, C-A-T-A-K-I-D-S, exclamation point, Catechids. And it is 100 questions and answers to teach your kids the basics of the Christian faith. And each question is supported by scripture. I think there's one or two that don't have any verses below them. But um, the the tool, the book has been helpful to a, a lot of Christians. And I've just been floored at how many believers are using this with their kids. I mean, I wrote it originally for my kids and God's just blessed it well beyond our family. All his grace. If you want to get that, you can go to thethink.institute slash catechids. Thethink.institute slash catechids. You can get a free PDF of that on my website, or you can also get it on Amazon for about five bucks. So pretty good. Um, I also want to say uh, my wife and I are support raising missionaries. We'd love to be your missionaries. If you're looking for a family to support, missionaries to support and pray for, you can go to give.crew.org slash 101-8841. 101-8841 is our giving number. We are support raising missionaries through Crew, the Think Institute is funded by like-minded individuals and um and we're incredibly blessed to have the partners that we do we're always looking um to get that out there in case people are looking for opportunities to give if nothing else please do be praying for my wife elisa and me and our family um and then one more thing that is you can catch all of our podcasts blog articles uh, we've got a number of different shows on our podcast network the think institute joel, network. joel let me interrupt you real quick someone's Please. asking for uh maybe you can put a link in the comment on the comments to uh, uh sure to resources I, Might as well, yeah try doing I that know. i think living waters is asking for a link air church is asking for a link here so folks are i don't know what happened he just maybe he got raptured <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he'll come back. Um, again, I hope that I hope you guys are finding this uh, useful. Um, this is so important. I mean, raising up a child in the way that they should go, um, instructing them in a biblical foundation, teaching them to think in biblical categories is, in a sense, not just training them to be um, good Christian apologists, but also teaching them to be. Um, holistic Christians, Christians that are able to see the world uh, through the um, the revelation of God, to see this entire uh, reality from the perspective of divine revelation, and that we can trust what God's word says and and use it in practical ways in our lives uh, to honor Him in in what we do and what we say and and how we conduct our lives. So, this is very very important information. Hopefully, um, you guys get connected with um, Joel's. Uh, content. If you have not already, subscribe to his YouTube channel as well. I really appreciate you guys uh, listening to my channel, and I'm definitely um, wanting the content to grow and, and get um, circulated, but definitely check out Joel's 
um, channel as well. He's got a lot of great resources, um, teachings and interviews and things like that. So um, let me put him back on real quick. And uh, there we go. You made it back. We thought you got raptured, which is not good because then I got left behind. What's up? With uh, that? <laughs> yeah. Well, biblically speaking, you don't want to be the one left behind. Oh, no, no. You you do want to be the one left behind. That's right. That's right. That's yes. right. Um, okay. So Eli, I went ahead and put a, uh, a link to the catechism in the chat. If you can comment it, if you wouldn't mind posting that, um, I'll also put a couple okay. more links just because I'm on my wife's computer and, and sure, sure, Streamyard's sure. not recognizing me right now. So okay. I'll give you some, some links. Um, I got it right here. I'm going to pay right now. Let's see. So my boom. YouTube channel in there. There we go. And, uh, there we go. I'm happy people are interested in the content. That's good. Yeah, I really, really appreciate the interest. All right, let me give you one more here. Sure. So this last one I'm putting in, this is our giving link. And, you know, I, I hate to be that guy. Um, but I really don't hate to be that guy because I think it's, you know, we give to a lot of <laughs> ministries and it's a blessing right. and, and people are blessed to to partner with us. And so, you know, there's obviously no obligation, but if somebody wants to do that and wants to learn more. Uh, oh, let me give you my email too. Hey, 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 listen, we need to get the content out there. And and a lot of this um, requires support. I mean, I, I, I remember debating an atheist. Um, I don't remember which atheist it was. He's probably on my channel. You can watch. I have a couple of debates on there. Um, before we actually went live, I, I was talking to the guy and I was like, hey, so what do you do for a living? And the guy's like, I do this. I'm like, huh. wait a minute. So you kind of just like full time, you sit behind a computer and try to refute Christianity and religion. He's like, yeah, I was like, you know, he gets paid by supporters and things like that. Wow. Um, not that this is about making money and things like Correct. that, but it's very interesting to see that a lot of um, unbelievers have very strong support mm -hmm. um, that people are willing to pay a guy to sit on behind his computer screen and uh you know, engage religious believers and try to uh, destroy their faith. So yeah. um, it is a helpful thing to support uh, Christian apologists in ministry in, on YouTube, right? And I have no shame yeah. about um, about saying that. Uh, just as as we were um, speaking, someone was generous and, and gave a financial contribution. Everything, uh, all Praise those God. things help um, help us yeah. do what we're doing more effectively. And um, it's definitely appreciated and it's needed. Whether it's this ministry, Joel's ministry, or some other ministry that you think is doing good work, um, you should support, um, the, of course, su supporting your church first and foremost, but yes. definitely trying to support uh, people who are trying to get the gospel out um, on the interwebs, so to speak. So um, did you that. send me one more link there or, or did uh, I get you know more? what I'm, I'm trying to, let me just, I'll just give this one verbally. If somebody wants, um, I do in church trainings and we've got a number of study cohorts and things like that. But if you, um, I'll speak at uh, retreats, conferences, I've got a, a conference coming up soon, but um, if you're interested in, in booking me to come and speak, I can speak on worldview evangelism, apologetics issues, or if there's a particular issue you want me to speak about, or um, I, let me just say this. I love speaking at kids ministry events, um, retreats, things like that. It is a blast. There is nothing like it. So if you've got a kids ministry um, and you're looking for someone to come and speak at your next like overnight or retreat, um, I'm a lot more fun and zany with the kiddos than I am when I'm talking <laughs> uh, pre-sup and in the thick of it with my um, atheist interlocutors. So uh, if you, if you are, are interested in that, you can contact me through the website or email me and uh, I'd love to talk with you about that, but uh, but we have a lot of fun with what we do, and I appreciate uh, everyone watching. And Eli, man, it is such a blessing to talk to you, man. Really, really appreciate it. 
Absolutely. It was a blessing to have you on. And also, uh, folks, I really encourage you guys to check out um, Joel's uh, content, his uh, interviews and discussions, and also um, put myself out there as well. I'm also a, a traveling speaker and apologist. I yes. um, have scheduled a conference. I'll be um, sharing the platform with Dr. Robert Bowman and um, Anthony Rogers, an apologetic conference in Virginia. Uh, that'll be in October. So I'll definitely keep people posted uh, for that. Um, and so we very much appreciate all those who really waited out two hours in 10 minutes. Um, uh, hopefully this provides enough content for you guys to chew on and, and hopefully use uh, for the glory of God. Well, that's it for this episode, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, everyone, believers and unbelievers, we very much appreciate your interaction and respectful interaction. I, I'm very grateful of the fact that it's very rare that we have internet trolls and things like that. <laughs> okay. Um, unbelievers who post their questions, hey, those are welcomed. And hopefully I've been able to address uh, them from my perspective respectfully. And Joel as well, I'm sure he feels the same way. Um, we, we definitely encourage the questions and comments. So thank you so much, guys. Take care. That's all for this uh, live stream. God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Revealed Apologetics. If you have any questions or ideas that you'd like me to cover in an episode or perhaps in a blog article on my website, uh, you can reach out to me at revealedapologetics at gmail.com. You can check out the blog at revealedapologetics.com. That's the website. And there is also um, a menu there where you can choose to sign up for Presup U, which is an online course that I teach that teaches presuppositional apologetics. So you can check that out at revealedapologetics.com. If you have questions, revealedapologetics at gmail.com. And you can subscribe to the YouTube channel if you have not already. Also, I would greatly appreciate if you are really finding the content useful that you leave a positive comment uh, in iTunes. That definitely helps and it's greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and God bless. Thank you.